It's Friday, December 8th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 298. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that'll take to Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to our big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Ron. Noah's here. Yo. We've got a great slate of guests coming in here. We're going to have a trio of congressmen. Tennessee Representative Tim Burchette will be joining us for the first time. We'll sit down with South Carolina Representative Ralph Norman and Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs will be here as well. We'll also be joined for the first time by Dr. Shea Bradley Farrell. Lots of breaking news. We'll be up on Capitol Hill catching you up on all the things going on there. Donald Trump sat down with Sean Hannity for a town hall. We've got the highlights, which are the opposite of what we saw at the fourth GOP debate the other night. We'll check in there as well. Hunter Biden's in trouble and the U.S. border is open. I guess we're going to be touching on both of those on our Big Friday edition of the show today. But before we get into any of the headlines, let's take it over to Capitol Hill and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ro Noah's here. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And we're starting off on Capitol Hill today to get this Friday edition kicked off with a congressman who's representing Tennessee, too, sitting down for the first time with Representative Tim Burkett. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's actually Burchett, but that's okay. I said it yesterday, and she corrected me. Yeah. You know, the only person who ever gets it right is Trump. Oh. And his people, his people said, they go up to him and said, how did I say Tim Burchett's name? He said, Burchett, Mr. President. And he, he said he looks in the mirror and goes, Burchett, Burchett, Burchett. And that guy, I mean, I've seen, I mean, we've been out in the middle of nowhere. And he, and he said, hey, Tim Burchett, how are you, buddy? And I'm like, hey, thanks, Mr. President. He remembers my name, so that's cool. That's anyway, awesome. go ahead. All right, getting things started. It's been a busy week up on Capitol Hill. I think uh, nobody was surprised by the announcement, but maybe the timing of uh, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy announcing his retirement effective at Christmas time. Listen, we're going to have Representative Andy Biggs and Ralph Norman joining us in later segments on the show. We're going to ask them for a little commentary on it. I mean, obviously, we know all the great work that you've done. You were part of the original 20 and then part of the eight who helped get Mike Johnson uh, that speaker gavel and get you guys back to work doing stuff for the American people. When you saw this kind of shakedown this week, what was uh, what was your feelings on it? Which, well, which shakedown are y'all talking about? Kevin announcing his retirement. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not surprised. You know, it's just it's leaving us one step closer to complete Marxist control. Um, I'd wished he would have stayed the full time, but I'm not surprised. You know, you got to you got one year away from the time you can start officially lobbying or consulting, as some of them like to call. And uh, and so, you know. He just gets there a little quicker, I guess, and that's fine. But it's going to be tough because you figure you have 435 and we have a two- or three-person majority and of a couple hundred people, you know, you're always going to have somebody sick. There's going to be a death in the family, and you have to be really careful with your votes and how you get on the floor. I mean, literally, they could pull a coup and throw your guy or gal out. So it's, it's just um, it's a game of numbers, and we have to be very careful. 
No, that's the thing, taking those votes to the House floor and in the timely manner of it because of, you know, like you said, you could uh, have one or two congressmen out of the office moving forward and then they could initiate a motion to vacate. So very, very, I thought the timing was weird. We had been calling it that it was going to happen, though. And I just think yeah. that, you know, now that we're here, we really need to understand that, uh, uh, we're just going to have to walk a fine line as you guys are looking to get a bunch of stuff done, which is kind of where we want to get started on. You know, there's there's a, some big votes coming through next week. Obviously, you have the one for uh, the latest on the Biden impeachment inquiry. That's going to be H.R. 918, and that's uh, something that looks like we're starting to gain a little bit of bipartisan traction, especially after the revelations of the last 24 hours with Hunter Biden getting slapped with a, a bunch more crimes. I know this is something that, uh, you know, the American people need to know the truth on. Joe Biden still to this very day, as as early as last night, it continues to deny knowing any of these people or any of his son's business deal. And we all know already that that's not the truth. But as you see this getting ready to, to move on a vote to keep the wheels turning, are, are you optimistic that we're going to be able to get to the bottom of this finally? Yeah, well, ultimately, you'd hope the Justice Department would step in and say, hey, this $30 million that this family has flowed through this family, did they pay taxes on? And obviously that's one of the questions in the, uh, in the, in the latest indictments on Hunter Biden, but, um, and just how far that, that went, I suspect timing's everything and I, nothing doesn't happen in this game without a purpose. So I, you know, will this block us from being able to get Hunter before us? I don't know. Uh, you know, but, but we, what we are doing which I think is smart. And our speaker has said this and the committee chairman have all said this, we're going to follow a methodical way uh, along. We're not just going to jump the gun and say, let's impeach, even though we could, we could do that vote, but I doubt the votes would be there. Sure. But, but this, this starts the path. This, we have to make the case. And, you know, for the member, I was in a meeting last week and um, I believe it was last week or the week before, maybe the week before, and they were going over a lot of the reasons behind all this. And it was, of course, I'd been in the committee, so I knew some of this stuff six, eight weeks ago. But some of the members had not because they have, you know, they've been doing their their committee work. And so, you know, department, you know, in transportation committee I'm on, we don't talk about this stuff. So health committee, they don't talk about that stuff. So um, that is, I think we're moving in the right direction. And, you know, the speaker is a constitutional lawyer and hopefully will follow that path. The only problem you're going to have is going to push us up so far against the election. And when this thing's over, you know, it's over. I mean, when he's out of office and truly, I just still don't think the Democrats are going to run him for president. Maybe the Marxists that are in the White House and that are have his ear, they're going to be pushing towards it. But your general left wingers that have some common sense, I think they realize his cognitive skills and cognitive level is so low that they they see this as as trouble. Oh, you mean the mm -hmm. the fact that he was telling some members of the pipe fitters union that he's got a a marine with a button that could blow up the world last week isn't exactly what the Democrats want to roll out in twenty twenty four. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. You know, if that had been, I mean, you know, that that had been Trump. You know, they'd have been holding a hearing over it. Oh, and yeah. the media would, would the media would be national media would be demanding it. So this thing is just. Um, to me, it's it's just a. Uh, um, I mean, it's 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 pretty easy, pretty easy to figure out what's going on in this White House. He's he's probably got some Obama holdovers, high ups, or maybe even Obama. They're sort of pulling the strings on everything, and but he's got these 28, 30 year old advisors in there, and they they get their 
you know, they, they were publicly educated and have Marxist tendencies. Case in point, AOC. Yep. Publicly educated economics degree. <laughs> um, that, that, that's that's enough, you know, and, and that's what you're seeing. I think that's who's advising this White House. No, it's the truth. I mean, you look at all the holdovers from the first Obama administration, whether it's like, you know, Valerie Jarrett, Victoria Newland, uh, you got Monica over at the Department of Justice, Jake Sullivan, et cetera. It seems like, you know, everyone that was sweeping the floors when Barack Obama was the president is now high ranking government officials and, uh, you know, dictating a lot of the policies behind some of these older heads of agencies and the empty suit that Joe Biden apparently is at this point. And then, so when you talk about impeachments, you know, one of the other ones that's on the docket and, and I think, uh, is probably, you know, issue one with the American people outside of the economy, it might be one that rivals it as well, is what's going on down at the U.S. southern border. Uh, we've seen the absolute disaster that's been for the, you know, nearly three years that Joe Biden's been in office. We've seen Alejandro Mayorkas uh, not adhere to any of the stipulations of his job responsibilities. He's circumvented federal court rulings. He's ignored calls from Congress to do his job. He's obviously lied under oath several times as well. You know, that's something that in uh, early to mid-January, the House of Representatives is going to be looking to get out of committee and, and probably to the floor. And I think as we head into an election season with an unfavorable Senate map for the Democrats, and then obviously everybody's up for a job interview in the House of Representatives, you might see some more uh, bipartisan, uh, you know, working towards the middle on, on maybe holding Alejandro Mayorkas accountable. Because I think even though H.R. 2 is passed, even though Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden has admitted that they need to negotiate border security if they want anything else done, especially regarding foreign aid for places like Ukraine, you'd have to, at the end of the day, even if Joe Biden signs something, have to understand that Alejandro Mayorkas more than likely isn't going to adhere to it. So No, no, no. Hell no, they're not going to adhere to it. And that's part of the problem you have with, with Washington right now. They don't adhere to anything. You have a president who who allocates money, and that's clearly unconstitutional. It's a... It's a duty and job of the, of the Congress. It's clearly drawn out. Um, these folks, these people are anarchists, man. They have no other agenda. They hate, they hate this country. They hate our history. They tear it down. They hate our healthcare system. They're tearing it down. They hate our education system. They pretty much torn it down. Look what they've done. And, and, the, and the things they do just make it worse. There's no other explanation. They want to wreck it and they want to recreate it. And that's a dangerous situation. You've got people that are in power and nobody is willing to call them out. And, you know, we can't even get the votes in the Republican Party to kick these people out. It's just we ought to cut their money off. We ought to just defund them. And, um, you know, we've we've attempted to do that on several of them. But what? We don't have the guts to follow through with it. Yeah, I saw Speaker Johnson. Uh, he was on Fox and Friends Monday. We covered it on our Tuesday edition of the show where he essentially without saying the exact words, said that border security is the hill that he plans to die on. And if the Biden administration isn't willing to meet somewhere on, on closing down the U.S. southern border, then it's not going to be, uh, you know, another continuing resolution or omnibus that gets passed. It's going to be the government that gets shut down when the current one expires. Congressman, you know, one of the things that you've been pointing out a lot, you've talked about it you on other shows, you've done it, you know, from your congressional office as well, and this stems into everything that's that's wrong with this administration. You know, we're in the midst of the holiday season. Hanukkah started yesterday. Christmas is coming in just a few weeks. We just experienced a Thanksgiving where we see astronomical costs and everything from the food that people put on their table to gas they have to put in their cars, the way they heat their homes, etc., 
Everything starts and ends that's going negative in this country right now, partially because of bad policy and the fact that they don't adhere to it. But, you know, with the cost that the American people are paying, they are paying for this border situation in every way, shape or form, from the driven down wages to the way it hurts the dollar and the job market. What are what are some of the things that, you know, Americans could look forward to heading into the holiday season, knowing that they're up against? I mean, they're reporting these astronomical numbers just this week, some of the biggest border encounter numbers in, in the history of our country. We broke the record like three consecutive days in a row now that that they can look forward to heading into the holiday season, though, that this is going to be a tough one in Joe Biden's economy. I think what they've got to look forward to is they need to get out, look forward to getting off their butt on Election Day maybe turning off the view and getting out on election day and voting when 20 million so-called evangelical Christians decide to stay home on election day and a couple of million sportsmen decide to stay home on election day that's exactly what we got. We got the Catholic church being called a terrorist organization. We have uh, house moms coming to a school board meeting protesting the fact that their kids are being taught pornography and all kinds of perversions uh, being called domestic terrorists. We have law-abiding citizens being arrested at 12 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning by uh, a, a group of people dressed up like going into combat or something when they could just call their lawyer and have them turn themselves in. That's the America you're waking up to, and that is the America is coming at us at, with at lightning speed, and we better wake up and we better roll our sleeves up and play mean because, you know, voter harvesting, for instance, that government, it's legal. It might not be ethical, but we better and we're going to play the, the high ground and say, oh, we're not going to dirty our hands and do that and wreck the system. Well, guess what? The system's already wrecked. We're thirty three trillion dollars in debt. We're, we're in the next six or seven years. The highest single the highest single item in our budget will be paying interest on our debt. And who are we paying that to? The communist Chinese. So people better get off their butt. And, and, and these preachers that are afraid to preach the gospel and say what's going on, I guarantee you the other side is, and they're going to be shutting your doors one day because of this nonsense. So I would, I would encourage people to get up and get, a, get motivated and get out and vote in every election. Simple equation, but you you frame it so nicely. I wish we could have this much fire and brimstone on every episode of the show, Congressman. Last thing I want to touch with you on, uh, you know, it's let's let's lighten it up a little bit. I mean, you are the congressional office, most likely where you can get a wholesome PB and J and cold Mountain Dew. But here's the thing: <laughs> since you went up to Congress, you some of your counterparts, like Congresswoman Luna have really been able to bring back to the forefront the discussion of the possibility of extraterrestrial life vehicles, maybe the possibility of aliens, etc. I mean, this is something that I think interests the American people. I think we're probably closer to finding out what the truth is more than ever before. How's it been kind of working uh, in and around that situation as something that, you know, when you ran for Congress in Tennessee, probably didn't think you'd be working on too much when you got up to Capitol Hill. Yeah, it's a complete cover up. I was, um, the reason I got into this issue, I mean, I read about it and honestly studied it when I was a kid just because it's just fascinated sure. me. Sure. But um, I was cornered, not cornered. I was coming off the Capitol one day and a reporter said it was from TMZ of all things. Y'all have seen TMZ, the, mm -hmm. the TV show. It's kind of funny, but it's, it's kind of edgy. It's really kind of cool. I kind of dig it sometimes watching it. But the, the reporter said, hey, 
Congressman, have you seen the report? They're coming out with that report on UFOs. It says it's going to blow the lid off of it. And I said, brother, I said, I don't need to see that report. I said, it's going to have more holes in it than Swiss cheese. I said, this is a cover up. I said, more people believe in UFOs than believe in Congress. I ended up putting that on a T-shirt that I sell on my website. Nice. And uh, it sells pretty good. But then I started getting calls from people all over the country and now the world about it. And sure enough, you know, they've been telling us since 1947 that this does not exist. We spent tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars researching it, something that doesn't exist. And the federal government has the arrogance to tell us they're not going to show us what they found because they hide it under national security, which is a joke. Um, look, there's something going on. We've had 14 documented near misses with $50 million aircraft. Um, we've got pilots. We've got audio, video of it, of them chasing these things. And they're laughing and saying, what in the world is this? There is nothing on the face of God's green earth or any country on this earth that could produce something like that. And there's no human that could survive the G forces. So what have we got? I don't know, but I want disclosure. I do not trust. And in the Pentagon, my gosh, the war pimps at the Pentagon, you know, that they cannot find 50% of their assets. They just failed their sixth or seventh audit. They've never passed an audit. Nope. And what did America, what did Congress do? We rewarded them with 20 or 40 million billion more dollars this year. We, this thing's out of control. Just just give me disclosure. I'm not worried about saucers or little green men. I just want disclosure. What are they looking at? What have they found? And try and and why can I not see it? And if you think we're the best that God can do in this universe, you hold God in pretty pretty low standards. I think you uh, framed it pretty well right yep. there. We're going to leave it at that. Congressman, we're obviously going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. We'll be looking to have you back at some point in the future. Your team's been awesome coordinating and getting you on the show. We were really excited to be hosting you. We have our eight cards, down, six of eight right now. Byron Donalds and Nancy Mace continue to avoid us, but uh, we have a pretty strong email team over here at Steak for Breakfast. We feel like we'll be having them on the show at some point soon. We, we appreciate the job that you're doing. We know there's a great fight ahead, but uh, you know when we find the congressmen and women who are out there actually working for the American people and not just you know providing a lot of talking points without any evidence, we got to highlight them for our listenership. So this has been great sitting down with you today. We wish you the best weekend, and thanks for getting the show started today. Thanks, brother. Appreciate y'all. Take care and have a great weekend. You too. 17 years ago, I was elected to a seat in Congress that I couldn't get an internship for. Today, I sit here having served as your whip leader and as a 55th Speaker of the House. Whip, he said. As the son of a firefighter from Bakersfield, my story is the story of America. Oh. For me, every moment came with a great deal of devotion and responsibility. Giving my best to all of you has been my greatest honor. I'm proud of what we have accomplished. We won a House majority twice. We elected more Republican women, veterans, and minorities to Congress than ever before. We reduced the deficit by over $2 trillion while protecting the full faith and credit of our nation. We kept our government operating and our troops paid while wars broke out around the world. Traveling the country and serving with all of you, I have encountered far more people that want to build something than those who want to tear it down. I have faith in this country because America is more than a country. America is an idea. Today, I am driven by the same purpose that I felt when I arrived in Congress.
But now it is time to pursue my passion in a new arena. While I'll be departing the house at the end of this year, I will never ever give up fighting for this country that I love so much. Vagina. To all those who have supported me through the years, especially our constituents, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Asshole. We did our part. And when the stakes were the highest, we rose to stakes. the challenge. We were willing stakes. to risk it all, no matter the odds, no matter the personal cost. Simply put, we did the right thing. Thank you. God bless you and God bless America. That's a wrap. Fuck you. I hate you. Perfectly lined up with the last keystroke there, <laughs> Noah. This guy's the best engineer in the game in the game for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. And welcome to the news portion of our show here on the Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. The stakes are high for breakfast. Man, I have uh, some tears in my eyes, but they're from laughing (laughs) (laughs) and not crying. As Kevin McCarthy, surprisingly this week, announced his retirement from Congress effective at the start of Christmas break, which comes in just a little bit over a week. Did he... Did his team add that music, or did somebody else do that? Oh no, that was a full-on production. I mean, the guy is like, just have some fucking dignity, self-respect. Like, you don't need to add the fucking poor homeless animals (laughs) music to your. You should have seen the slideshow that was going on through that absolute heater. Yeah, you know. And again, we have to lend our credit and our thanks out today for Matt Gates, one of the only and maybe maybe the only Republican in the House of Representatives right now that understands how to play the long game uh, because this is a huge victory. Maybe not in votes as far as legislation goes moving forward. It looks like we're going to have like a plus one after Christmas with all the retirements. However, when you just talk about the young guns and uh, the fact that just over the course of, of a decade they've been able to annihilate them, as, you know, the soul of America First is starting to catch its footing right now in the House of Representatives, maybe even in Congress a little bit too, you know, with, with Tommy Tuberville and J.D. Vance, senators like that. But, you know, if you go back to that cover, a new generation of conservative leaders, Paul Ryan, Eric Cantor, and Kevin McCarthy grace the cover. And uh, we are so fucking back right now because they are out like the Saddam Hussein deck of cards. Look at this one, Noah. Ooh. Thank wow. You. Thank you to Kingsley Wilson, formerly Cortez, who will be joining us with a uh, post-Thanksgiving and Christmas update on how dinners were with Father Steve. She didn't hyphenate? No. I'm actually glad to hate that. I know. Well, actually, yeah. No, I agree with you. It's um, it, it's just wild the way that, that this kind of went down and how fast things escalated after the motion to vacate. And now you're starting to see and understand some of the narrative that we've been trying to slowly spoon feed you guys here on the show. That you can't just flip a switch and fix Congress. We're talking about decades of this is the way it's been. The good old boys, the lobbyist groups, the K Street. And we are actually starting to see some wins finally. It may not look it as numbers go down a little bit, but heading into this next election season in 2024, we've got a lot of great candidates 
uh, who are running in house seats. I saw Bo Hines is going to be running again in North Carolina. He should win with the redistricting there. You're also looking to add Sandy Smith, who's running for a seat. She's a great guest of the show. We've already had Joe Kent on the show, uh, J.R. Majewski. Hageline's running out in Nevada 3, just to name a few. We can't forget, these people are going to be replacing a lot of the ones that are drifting off into the sunset. I mean, we, we've even got John O'Shea, who comes on the show now, uh, frequently we'll have him back in I believe a week or so and and if you thought last year that he was going to be running up against the dynasty of Kay Granger down in Texas and she announced she wasn't coming back as well we're losing Ken Buck and a couple other ones it's absolutely fantastic Bill Johnson's retiring at the Christmas break this year so it's going to be weird because we can never bring anything to the floor moving forward when anyone is absent because at that point the Democrats can initiate a motion to vacate. <laughs> mm. But for anything we're, we're doing legislatively, you know, we'll, we'll have a, a plus one or two in, in the overall vote total. So, you know, a lot of people were surprised. I'm going to have to say it. We've been saying it here on Steak for Breakfast for a couple months now. As soon as this, you know, push to motion to vacate started, I said, listen, if McCarthy can't beat this, he's out of Congress after this year. There's no way someone that's been in House leadership for, you know, a decade now is going to give up the speaker gavel without even being able to finish one session and then just go back to being a regular congressman. And we saw how stuff went down after the motion to vacate happened. There was fighting behind closed doors. He threw, you know, our opening guest today, Representative Burkett, a little elbow to the kidney two weeks ago. And uh, he's been going on TV lately saying Matt Gates belongs in jail. So, you know, for all of the uh, L's that we could hang on Kevin McCarthy, this is probably the biggest W of his career. Mm-hmm. Let's... Fast forward a little bit and talk about the uh, current state of the Speaker of the House. You know, he, he's been catching a little bit of flack due to what's going on with the NDAA. I, I know you're a huge uh, fan of this, Noah, reworking the uh, National Defense Authorization Act mm-hmm. so we can get some of that 702 stuff out of there. Mm-hmm. You know, Speaker Johnson's kind of flip-flopped on this a little bit. He's trying to figure out what he wants to do. Obviously, it needs to be reworked. We're going to talk to Andy Biggs today, who had a big vote and win in committee with the judiciary this week. Uh, it was a bipartisan victory. Over 35 people voted to get this out uh, and moving along to hopefully the floor, maybe before Christmas, but more than likely in early January, about reworking that 702. Because when you start talking about these loss of Fourth Amendment's rights and the unsolicited and unwarranted search and seizures that are going on against American citizens using legislation that was meant for international terrorism. This is a bridge that we have to cross and we have to fix. I saw Warren Davison yesterday, who's an ally of Speaker Johnson, talked about him proposing extending this through April of this year. There is no such thing as a short-term extension for Section 702. Authorizing 702 until April 19th via the NDAA opens another loophole by permitting the intelligence community to extend warrantless surveillance well into 2025. Perfect. Frankly, hell no. Yeah. End of post. That's him. And, uh, you know, we, we have to be able to take this head on. I know we've talked about reprioritizing our... Business agenda, obviously, we'll hear a little bit later in the show. Life isn't going so well for Joe Biden's family right now, uh, especially since Hunter Biden got slapped with a bunch of new felony counts yesterday. Got him. Yeah, in addition to that. Hopefully we get him. You've got the Republican National Committee burning money like I've never seen before. We're going to touch in a little bit 
on the fourth GOP debate, which was an absolute fucking disaster. But here's the thing. Lowest rated debate in the history of debates ever. And ever? You're li- ever. And you're, and you're living in such a digital age that you can't not watch this anywhere. Okay, so they announced within 24 hours of that debate that they're going to hold two more debates right after the Iowa caucuses heading into New Hampshire, one on CNN, one on a conservative news network within a week of each other. The amount of money it takes to put on this promotion just with advertising and, and you know renting out channels like CNN and Fox for this bullshit that's not going anywhere, it's a slap in the face of the Trump campaign. And I, and I hope Donald – you know, we've had so many people – hypothesize that once Donald Trump has enough delegates to lock up the nomination, that team that's working with him right now, Susie Wiles, Brian Jack, Stephen Chong, Chris LaCivita, and friends, Jason Miller, they need to hijack the RNC and say, listen, we're winning the show, so now we're running the show. Because obviously at this point, it, it seems like the complaints, and I mean, it's coming from both sides of the mainstream media, are falling on deaf ears when it comes to Ronald McDaniel and... uh Maybe we'll bring her back on. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of try to do it like this. We'll reach out and say, you've gotten so much bad press lately. We want to be able to give the chairwoman a platform to tell us what's really going on. And then then challenge her on it. Like, yeah, but only 2 million people watch this debate. Mm-hmm. And well, You might have already just let the cat out of the bag then. Listen, they, they, if they're not going to have their research team listen to the mainstream media and say, stop doing the fucking debates, wasting money. Yeah then they're not going to listen to this episode of Steak for Breakfast. But if you are, hi. Yeah. Thank you for your listenership. Mm -hmm. So Speaker Johnson was busy this week, you know, getting things going. We've got the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry getting ready to come to a vote on this coming Tuesday, which is going to allow it to move into formal proceedings and bring it to the House floor for a vote. The Speaker Johnson was alluding to that yesterday. I saw him give a couple talking points on it. Let's check it out. Well, look, the impeachment inquiry is necessary because, um, as you know, our, our committees of jurisdiction, oversight, judiciary, ways and means, Chairman uh, Comer and Jordan and Smith have done an extraordinary job following the facts on this. Remember, remember, it's the, Article One of the Constitution gives the House the impeachment authority. And I've said at this podium before, next to a declaration of war, impeachment, arguably the heaviest power that the, the House has. That is Why? Accurate. Because it's so mm-hmm. serious. It's so important. And the previous couple of years, uh, the House Democrats cheapened impeachment. They, they used it for partisan political purposes. They went after Donald Trump twice. I served on the impeachment defense team twice. We called Trolled those Nancy sham Pelosi impeachments, once. snap mm-hmm. impeachments. They were. What you're seeing right now is exactly the opposite of that. You're seeing a very deliberate investigation following, uncovering and following the facts, following the truth where it leads. That's what the Constitution requires the House to do. And the House Republicans have done that very methodically. So we have come to this sort of inflection point because, Chad, right now the White House is um, is is putting is stonewalling that investigation. They're refusing to turn over key witnesses to allow them to testify as they've been subpoenaed. They're refusing to turn over thousands of documents for the National Archives. And the House has no choice if it's going to follow its constitutional responsibility to formally adopt an impeachment inquiry on the floor so that when the subpoenas are challenged in court, we'll be at the apex of our constitutional authority. It will be a movement of a vote of the full House, and that will allow us to continue and and continue on pace. This vote is not a vote to impeach President Biden. This is a vote to continue the inquiry of impeachment, and that's a necessary constitutional step, and I believe we'll get every vote that we can. Concerned, though, among some of these moderates, you know, that they're getting dragged into this, you know, this is going to be a tough vote. 
No, all the moderates in our conference understand this is not a political decision. This is a legal decision. It's a constitutional decision. And whether someone is for or against impeachment is, is of no import right now. We have to continue our legal responsibility, and that is only, solely, what this vote is about. So there you have it. This isn't going to be the formal impeachment for a vote on it on the House floor. What they want to bring to the House floor is, is a presentation of their findings so far and to get more of a bipartisan backing into continuing this inquiry because when you look at the stuff that's going on with Hunter Biden, and we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit later in the show. I mean, this was like breaking news last night, so it's still kind of getting dissected by everybody in the mainstream media, all the legal experts and stuff, which mm-hmm. me and Noah say on a regular basis, we are not. Yeah, I know. But the fact of the matter is, is you know, we'll be able to report exactly what uh, the talking points are up to this point and maybe see where it's going. Um, I think one of the other things Speaker Johnson has been kind of hit on, even though he's moved more than just about anybody on it, is the release of the January 6 tapes. Uh, just over the course of this week, it's looking like we're going to be getting another tranche of tapes. However, there have been some people who have been criticizing the Speaker because he talked about moving forward, they're going to be using blurring technology mm. to hide the identities of some people who may have participated in the event that day. And his reasoning was that if they haven't already been targeted by the Biden Department of Justice and some of this footage may be coming out for the first time to the public, how do you know those who are breaking down the videotapes in their amateur context aren't going to be doxing these people and contacting federal authorities that which essentially is going to open up that Pandora's box are they going to start targeting these Americans no I, I I'd like to hear what you think about that it's kind of a two-sided coin obviously we want all the receipts we want to know everybody who's there um, but there's a lot of people who are saying the other side of that coin is now this is the government protecting the feds who were active in the crowd waving people in giving guided tours etc yeah I feel like that's exactly what it is and they're they're using the other thing as an excuse so any federal agency that's already been looking and going to people's houses with the giant freaking industrial strength uh, SUVs to basically a tank to knock down their door and and get them at the crack of dawn. That's already been happening. The the federal agencies already have all of these documents, all of these videos. They already have the facial recognition shit running. They've probably already identified every single person in every single video that's, you know, possible to obtain at this point. So I understand on both sides, you know, we're, you know, the people that are doing it as a hobby that aren't on our team. Sure. Probably going to fuck people's lives up. I mean, you got to think of all these Antifa groups that just sit in their mom's basement and, and break down films and try to dox people who use I mean, Anon accounts 24 7. I, I don't know what the stock that you would buy for Hot Pockets, but <laughs> you should probably buy, buy, buy okay. right now. Okay. Uh, uh, and again, I'm, we're not giving out financial advice either. I'm not going to call you Jim Cramer. <laughs> Kiss of death. <laughs> yeah. But like I, I get I get the idea behind, you know, blurring people's faces, but it really is just making spot the Fed harder. That's all it is. No, it's it's the truth. I mean, I would I would say that if they're gonna do it, anybody who was a federal informant, confidential informant or whatever you want to call it, they should have a smiley face on. That would be awesome. And you'd see exactly how many of them are there are. No, you wanna know what? That would be almost comical and uh I did see that Speaker Johnson was asked in that press conference, which we heard at the top of our show, about this exact issue left this week. Let's hear what he had to say. 
trust the American people to draw their own conclusions. We should not, they should not be dictated by some narrative and accept that as fact. So they can review the tapes themselves. Uh, we're going through a methodical process of releasing them as quickly as we can. As you know, we have to blur some of the faces of persons who uh, participated in, in, uh, in the events of that day because we don't want them to be retaliated against the and, feds. Uh, and, and, and to be charged those by the are, DOJ the and, and to have other uh, you know, concerns and problems. So uh, that's a slow process to get it done. We're working steadily on it. We've hired additional personnel to do that. And uh, all of those tapes ultimately at the end will, will be out so everybody can see them and draw their own conclusions. They hired additional personnel. I wonder if they hired the how many IRS agents we didn't? <laughs> it's definitely not that. Remember, House Republicans are still trying to defund them. No, so I know. Definitely I know. Be them. No, but I, I get it. I but get it. But it. it probably comes from the same hiring pool. No, it's a truth. And listen, we're not making excuses for, for Speaker Johnson. If this is something that uh, the, the American public is unsatisfied with, by all means, you got the hotline, you got email, you got social media. You got to let them hear it. And you got to be able to, and it can't be all cuss words, and it can't be all, you know, uh, man, Boomer Sweat Steve was using a little, scintilla. Can you look up the definition of scintilla? Scintilla? He used it like 73 times the other day. I almost want to switch the apparatus. To scintilla? Yeah. Let's see. But here's the thing, like bullying these guys because of what they're doing, that's not really uh, any kind of... I would call it prudent way to reach a disposition that the American public would be satisfied with. And at the end of the day, I think we're at a point now where we aren't satisfied with anything that they do because uh, inquiries and investigations and oversight is pretty much the job of Congress when you don't have the Senate and you don't have the White House. But, you know, we still have to fall back on, you know, are they going to be able to finish appropriations by the time the laddered CRs are done? And, you know, are all the January 6 tapes partially redacted or not going to be released to the American public in a timely manner, it would have to be before the CR expires because those would be at that point promises kept. So, you know, it's one of those things you have to make your own assumption about it, but just in the context of what speaker Johnson's up against right now, he has held the line pretty decently on, you know, what he said last week. And that is you will either do what house Republicans pass legislatively HR two as much of it as possible and apply it at the southern border. It's not just passing it. It's not just taking the knee and saying, we'll accept it. It's There has to be stipulations in there. If he's not impeached by the time they actually get to this, and, and according to some of the congressmen and women we've talked to over the last week, they're looking to get an actual vote on the House floor on Mayorkas impeachment by sometime in mid-January. If he's not willing to apply this border security, then it's pointless to even push for it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Maybe we need another guy in there. Maybe we don't. But uh, Noah, did you were you able to pull a definition for me? All right. So scintilla. It uh, the origin is from late seventeenth century Latin. How dareth the scintilla, a tiny trace or spark of a specified quality or feeling. Okay, so that's what when he keeps saying, "I want to see a scintilla of seventeen seventy six. Yeah, a scintilla of doubt would be the example that it gives. So that's all. Paul Revere and, and probably not as much rifleage. <laughs> <laughs> um, sticking in the thread of January 6th, though, I, you know, they had some oversight this week and they had uh, some of the people on the floor who were talking about the treatment of people uh, who have been caught up in the D.C. Gulag and other federal institutions, the amount of, you know, confined space that they've been kept to without having any time to see the sun 
what is it called when when they're not allowed to be anywhere? Solitary confinement. Yeah. You know, the poor living conditions, the even worse hygienic conditions, availability to medical treatment and care. You know, there's people you hear these stories, these parents come on or we have people on from January 6th adjacent like law firms that are working on the cases or organizations like the Patriot Freedom Project and say, you know, this person has cancer. They don't get treatment and this, that and the other thing. Chip Roy was trying to provide a little oversight in committee this week, and uh, I, I think it'd be interesting if you guys heard what he had to say. I appreciate that. I just have one quick question, and then I'll let him yield to the gentleman from Arizona. The respect to the question you just talked about in terms of jails and how people are treated <clears throat> in incarceration, have you all done any investigation into how those that were charged with crimes related to January 6th have been treated in the jails uh, in Washington, D.C.? Um, yes, uh, Chairman, there is uh, one matter that was referred to us by a judge in the D.C. District Court, and we, we did respond to the judges. Have you all there. conducted an investigation into the treatment of those facilities? And if so, can you produce that information report to us? While we have investigations open across the country, we don't presently have one open in the District of Columbia. Pretty interesting. Mm. So no oversight. That was the Assistant Attorney General of the United States, Ms. Clark, who provided some damning testimony not in her favor throughout the course of that subcommittee hearing. Now, uh, so another talking point, too. The only chair that Mike Johnson had was the Judiciary Constitutional Subcommittee. He was the chair of that. And it looks like Chip Roy, who sat in his place uh, yesterday in this subcommittee, will be chairing that moving forward. So I don't necessarily hate it when it comes to some policy-related things. I do philosophically line up with Chip Roy and some stuff, especially border security. We just think his never-Trumpism and his takes on political candidates is absolutely fucking disastrous. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that he, he doesn't like anybody in the Gates 8 and 20 as well, you know, it's neither here nor there, but, you know, it's just a shit take to have at this point. There's Listen... You're watching the, the growing pains in the Republican House uh, in real time. And uh, you, sh you should be able to at least relish in the fact a little bit that it's not just the status quo, that it's not just going to be CR after CR mm -hmm. moving forward. And we're not getting these old farts, you know, they're going to come up there and tell us how it is and bend the knee to Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. So uh, that's just kind of the way it is. Chip Roy also alluded to passing it over to the Arizona congressman. He was referring to Andy Biggs, who also sits on the committee. He'll be joining us at the end of the segment today. And while we're at it, wherever you're listening to the podcast today, whether it's on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, you got to follow the show. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Helps us out so much. Massages the algos. Brings us up in suggestions. And helps us out in the Apple Top 100. Keep in mind, heading into this holiday season, you're also heading into the first holiday season with the worst economy in the history of a long time. Mm. Steak for breakfast is always going to be 100% free. All you have to do is go to Apple and Spotify and hit the follow button. Helps us out tons. And then on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. Again, we're going to be sitting down with Arizona Representative Andy Biggs in just a sec. You know, Assistant Attorney General Clark, who's obviously a DEI hire, uh, Google it, you'll thank me later. She mm. had no idea what the fuck was going on. And that seems to pretty much be the case. I mean, you know, uh, Lisa Monaco is running the Department of Justice. Uh, Merrick Garland's doing a great job helping her out as well. It was just embarrassing to see her up there. You know, you had Senator Schmidt, the former attorney general of Missouri, who hammered her on Missouri v. Biden, probably one of the biggest censorship cases, if not the biggest in the history of the United States, which is still in federal court. 
screaming towards the SCOTUS, and she had no idea what it was. Nothing. And and this is like a the biggest censorship case in the history of the galaxy. And she's like, yeah, I, I've, I've literally, he's like, you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> but another thing was, as they continue to peel back the layers here, was them asking her questions on pending investigations into Joe Biden. You know, they have the document scandal going on, the special counsel assigned to that. Bob Herr, mm. who was a former Rod Rosenstein protege and one of the Russiagate proprietors. You know, he's the head of the special counsel into Joe Biden and his document stuff. But there's also some other shady business that Joe Biden participated in over the years. One of the biggest lies he tells on the campaign trail outside of, like, the Amtrak train story. Oh, geez. Yeah. Is how he taught college classes. And we just know that that wasn't the case. They put Joe Biden's name on as like a contributor, contributing professor or whatever at, at several major universities and even ones in the Ivy League. Imagine hiring that retard, which I, I do have to say, you do have Brian Stelter <laughs> and Beetlejuice <laughs> sharing an office over at Harvard. Um, but Man, to be a fly on the wall with those conversations. Just don't say your name three times. No. Mary Miller, who's a fantastic congresswoman, we're looking to get her on the show here soon, was asking... How does Joe Biden get this several million dollar a year job when he has, number one, no experience in education, and number two, never showed up or did anything? Let's hear the Assistant Attorney General of the United States. Gil, as president of UPenn, can you give us some insight into why Joe Biden was paid almost a million dollars by UPenn? What were his responsibilities when he is at UPenn? Did he teach a class? <laughs> I appreciate the question. Uh, President Biden was a professor of practice at University of Pennsylvania for a little over two years. My understanding is that his salary was $400,000 a year. Uh We also had uh, Mr. Jeb Bush as a professor of practice at University of Pennsylvania. uh, President Biden had a wide variety of uh, uh, obligations. He was in many different classes. What obligations exactly did he have? He was. He held seminars. He was in many different classes. Oh, he interacted with thousands of students over the time he was there. Mm-hmm. He invited uh, speakers. The goal of the center was to enhance for four hundred thousand dollars. Anonymous student, uh, anonymous Chinese donations poured into UPenn after your university hired Joe Biden, and he appeared to have a no-show job. <laughs> hey, listen. Much like Michelle Obama pregnancy photos. If any of our listenership dabbled in the Ivy League and maybe mm-hmm. even went to UPenn when Joe Biden was supposedly the greatest professor in the history of education there, someone's got to have picks. Picks or it never happened. Right. Send them to the show. We'll trade you. We have our only action For card. What? I've got <laughs> two exclusive cards. Well, you know, the Alejandro Mayorkas. Oh, right. We've got pictures of Alejandro Mayorkas and Nuthugger shorts, <laughs> a mini afro, with a headband. That's amazing. When he was the co-captain of the boys' varsity tennis team at Beverly Hills High School. One of our frequent guests was the co-captain along with him. Mm. And, and believe me, you want to talk about someone that knows how to serve balls, it's definitely Alejandro Ale mm. Mayorkas. Yeah, so I, I'd never actually heard of a professor of practice. So oh, there I'm, I'm over here looking it up. It seems like it's basically just like some weird bloated position where they're able to like vote and whatever be on certain boards or whatever. But this says, what is a professor of practice? A professor of practice is a faculty member that a higher educational institution appoints to help students with their practical instruction. They 
typically have non-academic backgrounds and are highly successful and knowledgeable in their fields. This enables them to provide students knowledge regarding a particular field by providing a practical perspective, along with a theoretical perspective provided by an academic professor. Professors of practice generally lack certain characteristics of regular professor positions. Like a teaching degree? Oh, no, such as the right to vote on university faculty decisions. So it's not able to vote, but it's, it's just there's an assistant professor of practice, associate professor of practice, uh, professor of practice. It just seems like it's a weird bullshit position. I don't, I don't really know. I've seen, well, listen, you know how big of a fan I am of The Sopranos. It sounds like one of those where you go to the construction site and there's four fat guidos sitting in lawn chairs. Yeah, yeah. show up tomorrow. You're a professor of practice. We'll call you. You know, it's that's good. like one of those uh, one of those like crime movies where like the parole officer gives him the bullshit job at the docks, and he you never even have to show up. True story. Last clip before I think that was we... Reservoir Dogs. I was referencing there. Well, now you have to look up the clip for the end of the show. Last clip before we jump in with Andy Biggs. Really excited to be sitting down with him. You know, they've got a busy day up on Capitol Hill, and he made a little bit of time for us, and we were really appreciative of that. Liz Cheney, who we've all seen in the media recently, saying that. She hasn't ruled out a third-party <laughs> presidential bid. Really? Also saying that she would do nothing as, and I'm air-quoting now, Republican to help Donald Trump in 2024. Also set her sights on fake news CNN with Jake Tapper. On Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, I do want to remind people that when people from both sides of the aisle, both the right and essentially the, the left, start hammering these people, it's usually because they're moving into proximity of being over the target. You need to understand that. took Mike Johnson a couple weeks to get his footing. seems like they've reprioritized stuff in the House of Representatives, working on appropriations, Mayorkas impeachment, Biden impeachment, NDAA. I think that's it for right now, which is good. And obviously the border stuff, which which is really important. And that's, that's the hill that Republicans are going to die on. That's going to be agenda item one, and that's going to be you accept it and apply it, or the government shuts down. Um, let's hear the former congresswoman, who I like to point out so often on. I'm blocked on her official <laughs> account, but not her not her personal one yet. I, I've been tagging that one only. As she said, Mike Johnson obviously is going to bring a significant threat to democracy. Oh, no. He's number two in line for the presidency. Do you think that our democracy is at risk with Mike Johnson as Speaker of the House? Uh, I do think that um, we have to be very concerned about the fact that he has shown um, a willingness to to take steps that he knows to be wrong in order to placate Donald Trump. Oh, and um, that was the thing that surprised me the most, I think. Uh, I had not understood that that was Mike's character. I, I thought that he was a man of character and a man of honor. Um, but But when I watched again and again and again, Throughout this period, um, his willingness, you know, essentially to do things without any basis in law. And it wasn't just me. I talk in the book about uh, Kevin McCarthy's own chief legal counsel, who herself confronted Johnson um, about the flaws in his arguments. And, and she emailed me and said, he knows he's wrong. Um, and yet he was, he was continuing to do it anyway. So when you have somebody with that approach, who's the vice chair of the Republican conference, you know, you can make the case it's it's not as dangerous. I was obviously concerned enough about it that I wrote these parts of the book before he was Speaker. When you have somebody who's willing to do that, who's Speaker of the House, it really does, I think, present a significant threat. And you imagine <laughs> January 6, 2025, oh, when the new House is counting electoral votes, 
Imagine the possibility that the election gets thrown into the House. And, um, and I think it's important that he not be the speaker that day. No, your thoughts? Oh. <laughs> uh, be honest with you. I, I'm kind of retarded. Man, Alex Jones on Tucker Carlson last <laughs> oh. night was an absolute fucking heater. <laughs> yeah. there, there were so many times where Tucker Carlson just... It was like you could see the scales being removed from his eyes one by one. Mm-hmm. And every time Tucker Carlson wanted to highlight, you know, a specific point, Alex Jones would always reference back to like several other ones and be like, "Yeah, you know, what you're talking about is cool, but if you look at all this other stuff that I predicted over the years, and it was just wild." Very. Listen, I looked at it and I saw like 118 minutes. I'm like, "Oh, really?" And then I, before I knew it, I was already at like 100 minutes. I was like, "Man, this thing flew by because mm-hmm. those two guys, they know how to do it." And it was absolutely fantastic. It also looks like that Alex Jones is going to be returning to X, formerly Twitter, very soon. Elon Musk has heard the pleas and is going to be doing, you know, vote by committee. He's going to be putting up a poll. So I think uh, a lot more people are supportive of Alex Jones coming back to social media platforms like Twitter than aren't. And it looks like we'll be having him absolutely destroying all of these accounts again (laughs) soon, which is going to be fantastic. Just as... As we're about to jump in with Andy Biggs right now, looking forward to that. Uh, But before we do, let's check in with one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. The enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like my pillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version one and two, my slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code steak here, you're gonna get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, mystore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the congressman representing Arizona's fighting 5th district. Always happy to sit down with Rep. Andy Biggs. Welcome back to the show. Thanks. Good to be with you. Man, you guys have had a busy week up there on Capitol Hill. Uh, Censorships, votes, retirement announcements. I think we'll start there. So Kevin McCarthy made it official yesterday. We've been talking about it on the show forever now. I think once the motion to vacate took hold and Mike Johnson obtained the speaker gavel. It was pretty clear that Kevin McCarthy was going to take his ball and go home. You know, as as someone who pushed him hard to follow up on the promises he made back in January, Congressman, and, and seeing how everything has shook out, I think you're probably more than pleased with the job that Speaker Johnson has done up to this point. But did it surprise you yesterday to hear the announcement or did you figure it'd be coming anyways? Uh, To be frank with you, I hadn't thought about it um, much. I, I was, so, so that, I would be dishonest if I said I wasn't a bit surprised. I was a bit surprised, and I would I would suspect that what he's going to do now is um, he wants to get going on trying to uh, retaliate against people who he didn't really care for or he felt were his his political enemies, and and uh, get people that 
are more like he is, whatever that may be, uh, in in Congress. Well, that would be the opposite of, of what you are, Congressman. That's someone that's actually doing stuff for the American people and always talking about it and working for it. So, you know, it's one of those things we kind of think he's going to, you know, join the the Paul Ryan sect of, of lobbying against America First candidates. That might include President Trump with his announcement coming this early and heading into a general election season where it seems like Donald Trump is essentially walking to the Republican nomination. So I guess we'll have to see it from there. But I do want to take it down to your home state. There's some been so just some ridiculous news, obviously, for the last almost three years now, but very much so for the last couple of weeks. And it seems that at this point, all of the reporting on the ground is showing that the state of Arizona is essentially borderless when it comes to the invasion that Joe Biden and Alejandro led policies have allowed the floodgates to open. And there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. Can you give our listenership a little bit of an update on on how you're treating the situation and what you guys are doing, working hard to get some kind of border resolution done? Yeah. So first of all, you're right. There is no border. There's no border from San Diego to uh, to McAllen. Um, it's it, it's wide open. The the two hardest hit places right now are the Tucson sector, which is just blowing up, uh, and Luke said Lukeville, yeah. and also in Eagle Pass, which is in um, the Del Rio sector of Texas, it also blowing up, and more more people coming caravans, more people coming up. Uh, uh, behind. And, uh, you know, we could go on and on about how bad it is, and I'm happy to answer any questions you have there. But so, again, we get to this point where um, a lot of my colleagues uh, want to just I- impeach Mayorkas, and I'm all in on that. In fact, I was the first person, and I've, I've run multiple uh, efforts to remove Mayorkas. My understanding, I've, I've spoken to the Homeland Security Secretary. These, these bills all sit in his committee. He's going to bring one up to impeach in January. Then once it goes through his committee, which I anticipate it'll pass, uh, then it'll go to the floor of the House. Well, I, actually, I shouldn't say that. It'll go to the Judiciary Committee, which manages these impeachments, and then it'll, then it'll go to the floor of the House if there's if there's the will. Um, so that's, that's that point. And then they, uh, the other thing that I think everybody needs to understand is the, this is a lawless administration. So when people start telling you we're going to do these policies, like we're going to enact HR two, which is a great policy, agreed. Those, yeah, those policies are good and and would really be beneficial to to bring this under control. But this administration, even if we pass it, and even if Joe Biden signed it, he's not going to implement those unless you do something to to effectively coerce or entice him to do that, and that would re- be. Uh, something with the budget. So what I I consistently keep proposing and not getting a lot of love on this, but um, I've suggested if you if you just stop funding the government, this is a government that hates this country. So stop stop giving them money. Uh, fund fund the Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the veterans. You you got to keep those promises. Then then go ahead and fund CBP, ICE, uh, the military. The TSA, uh, which is, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, I, but, but, you know, and the, and the FA, if you fund the, the air traffic controllers and that thing, if you do that, 90 some odd percent of Americans won't even know it that because the government will keep functioning. And, but, but this notion that we're going to borrow trillions of dollars to fund a government that is erasing our borders and attacking and spying on American citizens doesn't make sense to me. 
And the only leverage we have is is this administration wants to keep wants to keep spending billions and trillions of dollars to do that. So why not use that as leverage? No, that's an excellent point you make, and and you know that is the fact of the matter. We talk about it here on the show. If you found something where Chuck Schumer could whip enough votes on the Democrat side to pass HR two, and Joe Biden actually signed it, I mean, Alejandro Mayorkas has gone for almost three years now, completely ignoring federal judge rulings in regards to the border. Uh, you know, judges make these rulings and say you need to do this, that, or the other thing, and he just rewrites an administrative policy saying that, like, due to time constraints or due to space constraints, we can't meet that need right now. We're going to try, but we're going to continue to let in millions of people every year, like he's done unabatedly. So. For the last nearly three years now. And then, you know, when you talk about the national security risk, him and Christopher Ray have, have done dueling committees now for the last couple of weeks. Christopher Ray has pretty much said we're lit up right now, just as bad, if not worse than previous to 9-11. And Alejandro Mayorkas hasn't admitted but won't deny the fact that we continue to let people in who we have absolutely no idea who they are in the United States. And, you know, it, it goes back to the fact that you mentioned it. This administration is lawless. They don't care about the borders. They don't care what happens to the American citizens. And, and for the reasons that, you know, we continue to fund this and allow these, you know, pre-COVID uh, or I'm sorry, post-COVID numbers to remain to Nancy Pelosi budget levels to remain. It, it, it's just beyond me. I think it starts and ends with Alejandro Mayorkas. I think that is probably, you know, impeaching him is the only thing that's going to send a message to this administration that you guys are serious about it. If you're going to break the rules and laws of this country, then at some point, hopefully you guys can whip the votes to hold them accountable. But, you know, that's that's still uh, up for debate. And, and I guess we'll have to see what happens come January. Yeah, um, I, I do believe that it's going to be a lot closer in January. Our problem, of course, is um, with George Santos being expelled, with uh, Representative McCarthy retiring here, by the I, I, way I understand it is by the end of December, yep. we will have uh, no votes to spare ever, ever, because we will have a one vote uh, above the uh, 218 threshold. So it's going to be very, very difficult to get virtually anything done. Yeah, it's wild. You know, I, I do want to segue a little bit and, and kind of keep it in your wheelhouse. I did see this week, I believe it was on Wednesday, the House Judiciary Committee advanced uh, a resolution, H.R. 6570, and that's to protect liberties and end warrantless surveillance act. That's pretty huge that it made it through committee with such a large margin. And uh, do you want to tell our listenership a little bit about that? Yeah, so that's my bill. Um uh, passed out 35 to 2, a lot of bipartisan support. It's got bicameral support. The senators, uh, Republicans, Democrats like it. Um, and and what, what it does is right now uh, you can be surveilled by the federal government um, and we require a warrant if they're going to surveil you, which I don't know. It just seems, you know, it, 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 when we say surveil, I should say search because that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about where well, they call them queries. We call them searches. And we want a warrant. And and so that passed out. The other thing that's part of it is um, we say the federal government can't buy private databases and just have carte blanche and do in a private database, which they can't do uh, legally uh, otherwise. So that's that's big. The, the problem that we're running into now is the intelligence community. Um, which includes FBI, NSI, NSA, CIA, those that they are, that alphabet soup. They're trying to scare the bejeebies out of everybody that if we do this and require a warrant, then um, what's going to happen is you're going to have a terrorist attack. You won't be able to detect it. But 
um, we have actually we listened to the, the them and we we have 45, by the way, out, more than 45 outside um, groups, everybody from the ASL, ACLU and the far left groups all the way over to um, a, a number of very conservative groups and, and everybody across the spectrum that support this bill. And we took into account that we have to try to get that balance right between security and uh, liberty. And we think we did. And uh, but these guys are out there telling big fat whoppers that that we're going to protect uh, illegal aliens. And we're going to have this all this, uh, you know, uh, danger is going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. And um, and the question is now, are we going to get a nice clean hearing or on this on the floor? And and the speaker said we are, but I don't know that we really are. He wants to actually. This is the you know that the bill's good if we can get it out, great. But what the speaker is talking about doing is he's included in, in the defense spending appropriation package, not the appropriation, but the defense spending package. And fellas, I'm going to just tell you and all your listeners, that's a bad deal because they took out all of the good stuff that got put in or in the house. That's gone. And now they put in what what we call a clean reauthorization of of the this uh, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which is FISA. They're going to carry that out. That's going to go to April 10th. And then the net effect of uh, net effect of that is you you all of the authorities will continue on until April. They'll be able to get additional uh, st- uh, authorities that will extend out probably to January 2025 past the election, and it will negate all the good work that we did with um, uh, these groups that, I mean, let me just tell you, I, I sat down and I was working with everybody from Jerry Nadler for Pete's sakes uh, <laughs> to Jayapal trying to get this stuff through. And it was, uh, uh, I worked, I actually worked with the intelligence intelligence committee as well. And we got a lot of things we agreed on, but they're, they do not want a warrant, a Fourth Amendment warrant to protect uh, American citizens against unreasonable searches and seizures. No, it's something that I know you guys are fighting hard for. And then from every angle, everywhere from the special interests and the lobby groups to, you know, the ones that do uh, like legal oversight into, you know, like the ACLU and stuff. They're, they're pushing back or, or pushing you guys in the right direction. And hopefully it does get to the floor. I'd like to see, you know, some receipts, some people speaking about this stuff, things that you guys uh, know need to be in it. And we just don't want to clear cut reauthorization of everything because obviously it hasn't worked out too good for conservatives. It seems to be affecting Democrats even, you know, if you complain about the open borders like Eric Adams, he's going to have a bribery scandal. And someone said that, the, you know, he touched him inappropriately 30 years ago come up. So it's one of those things where you never can tell what happens. And I think it's good that you're working for people with, from the other side of the aisle because who knows, the coin flips next year and, and, and a whole new administration comes in. You don't want them claiming the same things that are happening that we know are happening now uh, with the Biden administration happening in, in an administration moving forward. If it was, let's just say, Republican in 2025. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, you know, next week you guys got a big vote, H.R. 918, and that's moving forward the uh, gears into the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry. You guys are looking to ramp this up. It seems like, you know, between the judiciary, the House oversight, and and ways and means, you guys have brought a lot of receipts to the floor. I think everything that's, you know, coming out to the public right now shows that you guys have a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that's going to back that up with uh, facts and evidence, whistleblowers, and, and, you know, you're going to start doing uh, the actual 
depositions next week. Hunter Biden's scheduled to be up on Capitol Hill. So what can you tell our listenership about the latest on that? And, and how do you feel the direction of this impeachment inquiry is going right now? So we are going to vote on it next week on the floor. I think it passes. Uh, then we go to um, uh, the should it should oversight. I said on oversight, we should be wrapping up our report. Should we get to the to the House Judiciary Committee? I said on that committee. And so sometime early to mid-January, we should be going to take our votes and then start uh, ramping up to actually do a, a real impeachment. If, the, if the, we get the votes, I hope we get the votes. Sure. But what I want people to understand, this is really critical. I'm, we could get into all the finite detail there are, because believe me, there is a lot of detail. We've got records. We're watching money go into Joe Biden from Hunter Biden's business accounts, et cetera. But this is what what you have to understand. The nub of this is, is very simple. Number one, Hunter Biden and his business associates sold access to Joe Biden. Number two, Joe Biden knew what was going on and was actually talking to Hunter Biden's clients and delivering access. The, the most clear-cut one was the, the, the uh, Burisma oil and gas company out of Ukraine. Number three, a lot of money was coming in. Millions and millions of dollars was coming into the Biden family businesses. And that's bribery. It, it, a lot of people say, well, but Joe didn't get it directly. Well, uh, the fact that your family is benefiting because of the selling of access to you as an elected official, that's bribery. You don't have to have uh, Joe Biden getting the 24 to th actually it's it's closer to 100 million. But let's just let's just go with the numbers that that we're going to be talking about 24 to 20, uh, 30 million dollars. It doesn't all have to end up in Joe Biden's pocket Correct. for him to benefit for selling access. Um, and that's what people need to understand. And, and the bribery is clear. Um, and even some of the naysayers that were there telling me no three months ago, they're not like, yeah, I mean, this is this is bribery clear, clear as a, as a bell. So hopefully we'll get the votes that we need to go forward. Um, and that's I, ho I hope that that gives you some some clarity on it. No, it certainly does. I guess people expecting to uh, get a Joe Biden impeachment under their Christmas tree are going to have to wait a little bit longer this year. But the fact of the matter is we see the work that you guys are doing and we wanted to highlight moving forward, maybe get some tentative dates on that stuff. Congressman, this has been awesome seeing down with you as it is every time you come on the show. Obviously, we're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that wants to follow you on social media and check you out, where can they find you? They can find me at, at Rep Andy Biggs AZ, at Rep Andy Biggs AZ, or they can go to my official at bigs.house.gov. Absolutely fantastic, as is it. Every time he joins us on the show, this is the congressman representing Arizona 5. Representative Andy Biggs, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Yeah, thanks, guys. You too. I, I expect so, but look, he, he is running, and I just I have to run. You drop out and out. No, not now. They say, we want to run against Trump. They want to run. Well, we did really well in 2016, and we did so much better in 2020. The person they don't want to run against is us. It's us. It's not me. It's us. Because it's a movement, the likes of which this country, Sean, has never seen before. At the no, at we have never seen the likes of what we've all done together. This is me, not me, it's everybody here and millions and millions. I think it's not 75 million people. I think it's 150 million people. It might be more than that. 
I mean, who doesn't want to see strong borders and a strong military and low taxes and low interest rates and go out and buy a house? I played on purpose because... All right, jumping back into the news here. Always great catching up with Congressman Andy Biggs. He had a lot of information for us today. He looked like he was uh, definitely in the midst of a whole bunch of shit going on up there on Capitol Hill. It's been a busy week. They're looking to lock up the congressional calendar to get those dates in there on the defense bill, on the Mayorkas impeachment, on the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry, et cetera. At the same time, they're all working on appropriations, and they're bringing all these douchebags in like the assistant U.S. attorney general. And, they I mean, Noah, you saw this week they had all the heads of these major universities in there, and, and none of them would admit that they're allowing anti-Semitism to occur on their college campuses. It's wild. We're living in some fast times. Yeah. I, I don't know how you can say that some of the views that are being purported by some of these people are not just blatant hate speech. Like if it was, if it was going the opposite way, these, all these people will be in the hangar already. Just like, yeah, you're done. Yeah. No, any other time, in, in, you know, since world war two to about before Donald Trump came down the golden escalator, these, these rallies would be ended with fire hoses and tear gas. And all of these students would be, especially the international ones deported. The American citizens who are actually helping to facilitate these, you know, the pseudo riots across the country in, in our cities, in major cities, in the streets and on college campuses, they'd all be in jail. Uh, it's just now, you know, we're at that breaking point for our country, especially when it comes to anti-Semitism and, uh, you know, getting the Hanukkah season kicked off yesterday. Happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish listenership and everyone that celebrates that opening clip of Joe Biden on the tarmac. That was following a campaign event, obviously for donors, because he's not allowed to speak to the public. Mm -hmm. But there he mentioned, uh, you know, it was leaked immediately to the media. If Donald Trump wasn't running for president, I probably wouldn't be running for reelection. So they asked him the question on the tarmac to where he answered. And he kind of, you know, gave the same response. But then again, the follow up question, which I thought was better. Uh, she said, do you think at this point it, it's do you have any possibility that you'll drop out? And he's like, oh, no, no, it's too late. So. Who knows what we're going to be getting at some point. Um, Donald Trump's not as optimistic about Joe Biden making it to the ballot box next year as the Democrat nominee. He alluded to that as we're going to start to uh, look a little bit into the town hall he had on Fox News Wednesday night with Boomer Sweats, Sean Hannity. In such Boomer Sweats fashion, too. Sean Hannity leads in with, oh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, speak in the media right now that when you come back, you're going to be a dictator. Uh, do you know, do you plan on ruling this country? Like a dictator? he asked him like three or four times and Donald Trump just kept giving him the same answer, like only on the first day of office. And that means we're going to close the borders and we're going to drill for oil. And Sean Hannity wanted more of a retribution like response. And Donald Trump just wasn't going to give it to him. And remember, Oh, Remember how we always say we're looking for ways to avoid giving Fox News the click? How's this one? Mm. I went into a Twitter space mm -hmm. that streamed it from YouTube. Nice. So there you go. And that was obviously uh, the way that I heard it. And then we did a little you know, commentary after. Here's the thing, though. A lot of people get pissed when Donald Trump goes on Fox News, and they get even more pissed when they go on Sean Hannity because all he does is cut people off and make all the boomers sweat. That's why we call him boomer sweats. He gets them all riled up. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump doesn't need Fox News. Fox News needs Donald Trump. But Donald Trump also needs to make himself accessible to that boomer listenership and everyone above that only has cable TV. Listen, there's millions of voters out there who don't have social medias outside of Facebook, who don't 
have extended cable or satellite services, who don't know how to download Rumble or Real America's Voice or Right Side Broadcasting apps and can't watch Donald Trump all the time. So I think several times a year, especially heading into the primary season right now, Donald Trump needs to go on these mainstream networks and present his case to the average Joe. And I think that's why when he gets on things like Sean Hannity's show or he does a sit-down with Mark Levin or you know he does a CNN town hall, we just kind of have to accept it as what it is. He's trying to reach the broadest audience possible and make himself accessible because all we hear about in the media is, if we can't stop Donald Trump, can we kill him? And what will life look like after that? That's pretty much all you're getting spoon-fed from the mm. media right now. Yikes. And, I mean, they're starting to go down that road where they're starting to tie him and, and Speaker Johnson together. It looks like it's going to be a ship of, of a few fellows that's, mm. you know, going to look to get torpedoed. But getting back to the other side and Donald Trump's opponent, he doesn't think that Joe Biden will make it. Let's listen. When prominent Democratic voices like Maureen Dowd and, and David Axelrod and Van Jones and others are so critical of Joe Biden. And of course, he is struggling cognitively. I can't think of in the last couple of months any appearance that he has had where he wasn't either mumbling or bumbling or stumbling or having no clue where to go, where to exit. Now, my question is, do you think in 11 months he will be their candidate? I personally don't think he makes it. Okay, I haven't said that. I'm saving it for this big town hall. I've never really, I personally don't think he might. I think he's in bad shape physically. Do you remember when he said, I'd like to take him behind the barn? If he took me behind the barn and I went like this, I believe he'd fall over. I believe he'd fall over. And who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But. But it was okay. And by the way, it was okay for him to say that. He said, I'd like to take him behind the... He could say that, and everyone thought it was so cute. If I ever said it, they'd say, he's a dictator. He's a horrible human being. You know, it's a whole double standard we have, and not only in the law, but just about everything else, as you know very well. Um, I personally don't think he makes it physically. I watched him at the beach. He wasn't able to lift a beach chair, which is meant for children to lift. You can lift him like that. Uh, and mentally, I would say he's possibly equally as bad and maybe worse. But I don't know. I will say this. He's got vicious people surrounding him around that beautiful Oval Office. There are people in that Oval Office that are evil people, yep. bad people, smart people, young, vicious. They're communists and they're bad. Who, they're, who do you think would replace him then? Uh, well, I saw one person on who I actually had a very good relationship with, but I'm sure that it would end very quickly. I saw him in your debate the other night, and he's slick, but he's got no facts. You know, he's got no facts. Uh, I thought he did well, considering... You're talking about Gavin Newsom. Yeah, considering that he didn't have the facts, I thought he did well. You know, he said, <laughs> we have the lowest taxes in the country. We have the cleanest streets in the country. We're... And I'm saying, wait a minute, is he talking about the same place? <laughs> So he'd certainly be one. I guess they say that Kamala would be uh, the one, the odds to be. Because they say if they didn't give it to her, the African-American vote, the black vote, would not go to them. And we just had a poll where I'm at 22 and 25 percent with the black vote. If we have that, we can call the election over. we got to take a break. That's the truth. I mean, you know. Donald Trump got 8% of the African-American vote in 2020. I believe he got 6% or 7% in 2016. Mm -hmm. If Donald Trump is in 
the mid to high teens and even flirts with the 20s, you're talking about there's a possibility of an electoral landslide and historic win for him. And at this rate, I, I don't know how these guys recover. It just seems like there's so many. Here's the thing. We'll touch on it a little bit later. We're going to introduce what we've heard on, on the new charges against Hunter Biden. But, Noah, you know what happens every time Hunter Biden gets in trouble. Donald Trump gets indicted or we start a new war. And now it's just breaking across the news wire. We forgot hey, aliens. Aliens, too. Oh, no, that's for Hunter. Disregard. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Mm. It's just breaking today that the U.S. State Department and the Department of Defense is pressuring our Gulf state allies to militarily retaliate against the Houthis who've been sending rockets and drones against U.S. targets and interests in the Middle East. So that's all we need. Mm. A new front to this proxy war with Iran. And it's, it's ugly. It's just getting ugly. This, this town hall wasn't ugly, though. Um, Donald Trump would continue to hammer Joe Biden. Now, remember, Donald Trump is a former Democrat, more of a traditional Democrat, had a lot of conservative views throughout the years before he decided to officially change to the Republican Party. But throughout his time, whether it be as a builder, uh, a philanthropist, a celebrity, he made friends from both sides of the aisle. He was a donor to Republicans and Democrats. He talked about a relationship he had with former murderer and deceased Senator Ted Kennedy. And one time when they were golfing together, Donald Trump asked him a question about the intelligence levels of senators. <laughs> You'll never guess who Ted Kennedy picked to say was the dumbest shit. Mm. Let's check it out. They're at the top of their game. We have somebody that was never at the top of his game. 25 years ago, he wasn't one of the light bulbs. He wasn't one of the bright ones. And I, told, I tell the story. So Ted Kennedy, believe it or not, was a friend of mine because of Palm Beach. They lived in Palm Beach at what's called the Kennedy compound. And I once I did him a big favor one time. And somehow he liked me. I liked him, even though we were opposite in many ways, politically, certainly. And I said to him, who's the smartest guy in the Senate? And he gave me a name. I don't want to tell you because I really don't like the guy at all. <laughs> Still around. I said, who's the dumbest? He said, Probably Joe. I said, who's Joe? Joe Biden. That's the first time. I said, uh, huh. He's never told anybody it. this before. And now <laughs> I see when he's not in prime time for himself. I mean, years later, he failed on being president when he was like normal. Some, something is going wrong and we can't afford it because we have a problem today. Nuclear weapons is the single biggest problem the world has. And we have people, you know, it used to be 10 years ago. Even five years ago, even three years ago, nobody would have thought about nuclear. You couldn't mention the word. Now it's being mentioned at every meeting. Every time you talk, it's being mentioned. The level of power of the nuclear weapons is incredible. Scary. Like take Hiroshima or take Nagasaki and you look, and that was many, many decades ago and multiply that times 500. That's what a big bomb would be today. So we'll leave it there. We're going to touch back on the N-word. Listen, we don't say the N-word here on Steak for Breakfast. Donald Trump reminds us frequently that there are two N-words, one that you never say and one that you really don't say either. Well, one of them's getting thrown around all the time now, and he alluded to it right there. It's nuclear. Uh, it used to be such a taboo talking point, especially coming out of the Cold War. Now it's just like, oh, yeah, let's use tactical nukes, and Putin's going to do this, and she's going to do that, and India's going to do this, and everyone's going to get them. And mm. It's just not not the toys you want to be playing with when you're no. talking about foreign policy. Man, 
that whole Joe Biden, his is he's a disaster. He is just really bad. I, they got to shut him down and recharge him. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point, I'm starting to not be thinking that there might even be a presidential debate anymore. You've got the former president and the current incumbent. They're going to say, what are you going to debate about? And I think the Biden team is going to try and find a way out of this. That's just my early forecast on it. They'll have three scheduled, but who knows? You know, like the town hall, the foreign policy one, and then more domestically. Um, I don't see where Joe Biden has any wins anywhere. In any day. He's going to talk about the American Rescue Plan and the Inflation Non-Reduction Act. They've even removed binomics from all campaign events now, as they know all it does is piss people off when they see the word. So sticking in this thread right here. But before that, wherever you're listening today, whatever downloadable podcasting platform you're hearing, Steak for Breakfast, make sure you're following the show. helps us out big time. All you got to do is go to the Steak for Breakfast podcast on Apple or Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadios. Hit the follow button. It's the little plus or a little drop down, and it'll say follow the show. That means it's downloading to your electronic device. Helps us out big time on this end. Remember, everything you're hearing today is 100% free, and uh, it's always going to be that way here on the show. We'll never hit you up with a uh, paywall or subscription fee or anything like that. In addition, social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. You know, one of the things Donald Trump segued on while he was talking about all that N-word stuff, nuclear, was the global warming hoax. And, you know, he he's pretty much understood, and, and he knows that this is the way that the powers that be, the World Economic Forum, the global overlords, and all the lobby groups just justify laundering money forever. Mm-hmm. You know, John Kerry was asked the other day during that uh, summit that they were all at, the, the COP28, you know, it looks like Donald Trump's going to come back and if he does, he's going to remove America from all of these, this, that, and the other things. He's like, first of all, that's never happening. And, and if he does, we're not going to let it happen. And just another thing that you don't say about anybody who's been a president or is looking to be the next president, you just don't talk. And these people are so brazen with it. It's disgusting. Um, but let's hear President Trump talking about <laughs> he actually makes a joke about climate change and, and, and ties it into uh, the whole nuclear thing. Let's hear it. John Kerry wants us to stop doing anything. We can't. We have a country. We have to fire up our factories. Wind is not going to fire up our factories. And it's the most expensive energy, even solar. I like solar from a concept standpoint, but it's massively expensive. And we can't allow China to build a factory a week and we do nothing. They build a coal plant and they're obvious about it. And then Biden goes to see them about global warming. The only global warming we should be thinking about and worrying about because it could happen tomorrow is nuclear global (laughs) warming, not global warming. So instead of anything happening to the ozone or the ice caps melting, Donald Trump's referring to more of like 10,000 degrees Celsius and rising. Mm. We don't want to have anything like that. You know, and, and when you talk about all this stuff that's going on with President Trump and the the pushback from both sides of the aisle as it looks like he is just about to be unstoppable. You know, we're getting ready to jump in with Congressman Ralph Norman, who I think uh, is going to give us a little bit of his breakdown of the GOP debate, which we're going to touch on in our next news segment and then talk about some of the things related to the congressional agenda. And it's like one of those things... 
I like Congressman Norman. He's a senior congressman, right? He's very open about his political views. He didn't ideologically line up with Donald Trump in everything that he did or said, right? Mm -hmm. No. For this election cycle, he's obviously endorsed Nikki Haley. However, he's going to wind up holding the line and voting for Donald Trump next year. Um, you know, that's just South Carolina keeping the keeping it right, keeping it tight. Um, you know, we don't agree with this pick, but we do like his input on what's going on. There are a couple things that, you know, Congressman Norman is strong on. Number one is the border. He goes down there frequently. He's a great friend of the Border Patrol and uh, to customs down there. And he hates Joe Biden's guts. <laughs> and uh, I, I think he'll, uh, you know, he's been one of those people that have been in the front of this guy's been running a sham operation up on Capitol Hill for a really long time. Now he's doing it out of the Oval Office. And at some point, this this guy has to pay. So, but as we're getting ready to jump in with him and then do a little, a tiny bit of coverage on the GOP debate, you talk about the backfiredness of it, okay? Here's the ratings. And, and this is just absolutely embarrassing. No, this is going to probably raise your eyebrows a little bit. I've got them all lined up here. I believe it's all four of them. Okay, first debate. This was back in August. Now, the average for these debates are anywhere from 15 to 16 million, right? First mm -hmm. one, 14.2. That's in the general vicinity, right? Yeah. Second debate, end of September, 9.9 .9 million. Third debate, last month, the 8th of November, 9 million. The debate that happened on Wednesday, 3.1 million people watched it. Ooh. Yeah. And, and, I mean, you're talking about the digital age that we're living in right now. Also, you had all of the mainstream media news outlets going around doing these focus groups, wanting to take all the attention off Donald Trump's town hall with Sean Hannity, wanting to show everybody that there are other options out there than him. Mm -hmm. NBC News had a campaign in bed who watched a debate with a focus group of 30 people in a Georgia diner. Let's see how that went down. NBC News 2024 campaign embed. Namdi Egwanwu is with Republican Who? voters at a watch party in Atlanta, Georgia. Namdi, it's so good to see you. Uh, you do fantastic work, and I know you've been there with the voters in Georgia. What are they telling you? What did they think of tonight's debate? Well, Kristen, getting a reaction from voters here in Atlanta was quite easy. They actually organized a straw poll on their own th during the debate and were keeping track of their opinions. And by the end of the night, you had Vivek Ramaswamy out of the squash party of about 30 people getting five votes. Okay. You had Ron DeSantis getting two, both Nikki Haley and Chris Christie having a sole one vote. Um, and get this, former President Donald Trump, despite not being on the stage, got 18. So that's really <laughs> reflective of the vibe of the night here in Atlanta. But you don't have to take my word for it. A couple attendees agreed to stay after and give us their opinions. And Will, I want to start with you. There was a moment tonight that got a lot of people riled up. What was the moment that caught your eye that left a mark on you? Uh, what left a mark for me was uh, Nikki Haley being called out uh, for being the warmonger that she is. At the same time, uh, Ramswamy holding up a notepad saying Nikki is a corrupt. And that's going to be something that stands out uh, really strongly in my mind and in the voters' mind. Uh, but they talked too much about Trump, a man that wasn't on the stage, but ruled the stage tonight. Yeah. Oof. Mm. Yeah. Meet the fake press. <laughs> Probably didn't see that one coming. And once they did, what are you going to do? You can't cut to a commercial when a, a young 
African-American voter is talking about how the only highlight he thought of the debate was the absolute shit showedness of it and then referred to Donald Trump was still the star of the show even though he wasn't there. That, that Those numbers, Vivek 5, Nikki and Ron 1, and Donald Trump 18 votes out of their 30-ish person focus group, the ones that wanted to participate in the vote afterwards. It's just very telling. Yeah. And when you look at the amount of people who actually watch this thing, absolutely ugly. I don't know how we're going to have two debates in one week immediately following the Iowa caucus unless somebody steps in and does something. I mean, Donald Trump alluded to at a speaking event last week in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, that he would hope that Jesus Christ and God could come down to do a little poll watching. <laughs> Maybe they should stop at RNC headquarters first, but we'll just have to keep tracking that. As we are everything with the 45th president, we're getting ready to jump in right now with Congressman Norman. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's the congressman representing South Carolina 5, Always excited to sit down and have a discussion with Representative Ralph Norman. Congressman, welcome back to the show. Well, glad to be with you. On the road today, traveling, and still found the time to call in. We really appreciate it. Things where I think we want to get started on uh, last night's debate. We saw the fourth GOP debate or third one, and uh, some some pretty much same same amount of fireworks as we've seen from the first couple. But uh, I'm pretty sure you had some commentary as someone who was watching very closely. Yeah, it was a good debate. Um, it was different in the fact that you had two and a half people pretty much ganging up on on Nikki Haley and I say two and a half Chris Christie you know <laughs> was complimenting her and then the other two were pretty much guns blazing this wasn't unexpected uh, DeSantis has been losing altitude for the last couple of months his money is pretty well being spent on you know Iowa and I guess to some extent New Hampshire, but I thought it was a great debate for Nikki. I think she was a um, impressive with not only how she answered direct questions, but just the way she is. She's got a vision for the country, and she knows how to how to portray that to the American people. So good debate. Uh, you know, it was. I think Ramswamy was probably hurt himself with some of the things that he did. I mean, you know put a sign up there saying Nikki's, I think you said crooked or uh, then question her Christianity and then bringing a daughter in it during the last debate. But, you know, it was a, a good debate. I thought the moderators lost control. If they don't do something, this is about the third, well, second time that they were talking over each other. And yep. when they do that, nobody can hear. Um, and I suggest, I talked to, anchors last night and I said if y'all start cutting the mics off after 90 seconds if it really means 90 seconds cut the mics 
and just talking over each other, I think is really uh, unfair to the, the listeners. But anyway, all in all, great debate for Nikki, and uh, I think uh, we'll move forward to next day. Yeah, and you know, it was just uh, announced uh, yesterday that CNN is going to be hosting the next two debates. And uh, I, th- I think it's really important that if they're going to continue to have these events, uh, like you said, they need to put pressure on the moderators, bring in some of the senior ones, not, you know, the the, the ones that uh, look flashy that are going to be able to, it's not going to be their first rodeo when they're dealing with that caliber of, uh, of, of, of a political level, you know, candidate right there. They need to be able to, number one, hold the reins. And like you said, number two, when stuff gets silly or goes sideways, they need to be able to pump the brakes because at the end of the day, the people that lose out is the American public, the potential voters, because like you said, they're not getting the messaging. They can't hear that. And I mean, what it does is it winds up on social media as memes and, and you know, whether or not that helps the situation, that's up for debate, much like it was last night. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where hopefully we'll get a couple pros in there with these debates moving forward. Well, I hope so. And all the way you do that, and y'all have been a part of this, I've had many debates, they give you the time limit. And then they cut the mic off. Sure. And um, that's what they need to be doing uh, during the next debate. The questions from the moderators, I thought, were spot on. They were direct. They didn't play favorites. And uh, I like the questioning. But if you can't hear because somebody else is either butting in line or talking over the other candidate, that's not fair to the uh, to the viewers, which I uh, from my, what I understand, the viewership was more than they thought. Uh, two and a half million was what they thought. And I think it was three, which was a good sign. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll have to see moving forward. Hopefully they'll be able to figure out a way to corral that. Not Golden Corral, which Chris Christie is probably a fan of, but actually corral these candidates in there to get them, you know, answering the questions and then cutting it when it's time to uh, move on. Congressman, I want to switch gears here a little bit. We, we did have some... Uh, Major announcements up on Capitol Hill this week. I think the one that kind of stole the wind out of the sails of the news cycle came on Wednesday, and that was with former Speaker Kevin McCarthy announcing his retirement heading into the Christmas season this year. You know, you've worked up on Capitol Hill for a long time. You, you've pro- worked along Kevin McCarthy probably just as long as well. You know, when, when you see it's uh, the end of the road for him, at least in this context right now, what can you say about, you know, how Congress moves forward from this? It's going through some growing pains right now, especially during the 118th session. But uh, this has just seemed to be another component of the bigger machine that's, uh, you know, part of the change that's going on up on Capitol Hill. It is. And, you know, Kevin, I was a big critic of his, uh, you know, the trust issue is what did him in. Uh, I was one of the five that held my vote in January. And, you know, he got out, he, he did it to himself. That being said, he's not all bad. I mean, he's pretty much devoted his life to politics, and, you know, that was really what he lived for. Uh, I was surprised he got out. I mean, he knew good and well that our, our margin was three at best. You got Bill Johnson, who was a longtime member, taking a, a – uh, presidency of a college and it's going to limit it even more uh desantis that was the wrong move i mean we major in the minor in, in congress and as bad as he was that was up to his constituents mm-hmm. in that. of course i didn't vote for it but at the end of the day we got to keep the majority and hopefully whatever it ends up being uh we'll stick together and get some things uh rolling to try to get this country back on track we've got issues that i have never faced in my life I feel for the country now more than ever from a security standpoint. And um, we've got to be together putting forward some great things. Well, you know what? That's an excellent point you make. We had Congressman Andy Biggs, who represents Arizona 5 on a little bit earlier in the show today, uh, Congressman. And, and you know, 
there are a lot of places getting slammed right now due to the Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas open border policies. But Arizona has been absolutely getting swamped for the last couple of weeks. You know, 10, 12,000 every day crossing the borders over there. I mean, he, he essentially said that they don't have a border in Arizona anymore. They just have a revolving door or a carousel where people are just coming in and, and there's nothing they could do about it. You, you guys are definitely moving. Uh, you know, heading into the Christmas season and then in early January to get that impeachment vote for Alejandro Mayorkas up to the floor. But at the same time, there's legislation that needs to get discussed. We all know Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden wants to talk about reshaping the immigration system, which solves no problems at the border, while House Republicans who have already passed H.R. 2 want to continue to capitalize on that and see if we could actually get this border locked down before we hit the election cycle next year. Just from your vantage point and as someone who's worked alongside these guys that are, that are at the forefront of this for such a long time, Congressman, what do you think is, uh, you know, potentially going to happen regarding border security as we get ready to head into the new year? It's going to be up to the Senate. Uh, what we're putting before them is the fact that if we don't have HR2, which has been on in the Senate gathering dust, then it's going to be on them. Uh, I was, didn't agree with, with putting the budget off to January and February, but um, it is what it is. And, but, on a good note, uh, we're putting it back in the Senate's hands. And we're not going to let them dictate and call our bluff. Uh, if they don't pass a, a border security plan that is measurable and makes him actually secure the border, let the agents do their job, uh, build points of entry, then we're done. And let them handle it. Uh, it's on them. They're getting pressure, too. Sure. I mean, look what's happening in New York. Yeah. What's sad is they're going to be hollering for money. And you got 10 members from the, uh, from the New York delegation. It's not the taxpayer's job to bail sanctuary cities out when they're the ones that, that agreed to take all the illegal immigrants. So a lot at stake here. A lot will be riding. You'll hear the press try to put pressure on us to accept what the Senate has, which is uh, more and more Biden spending and Pelosi-type regulations. We're just not doing it. And we'll, the Senate will suffer the consequences. And Mike Johnson has got the integrity to stand firm on that and not, not waver. No, you know, we played the clip from Fox and Friends Monday morning where Speaker Johnson and Elise Stefanik uh, joined the show and said, you know, this is going to be in the Senate's hand and eventually it's going to be Joe Biden's decision on whether or not he wants to keep the government open moving forward. And I think, you know, at this point for the job that you guys have done to put that bill together to get enough votes to pass it and then to send it over to Chuck Schumer, it, we're at that point. It's like if you have the solutions and just because the Senate is in Democrat control and, and the Oval Office is occupied by a Democrat right now, it doesn't mean that they don't get to do the things that Republicans passed just because Republicans passed it. Yeah, and I would make the comment that this isn't a Democrat or an American issue. This is a democracy issue. It's not Democrat or Republican, I mean. This is a American issue. This is for the sake of our really survival as a republic. You just simply can't have eight uh, open your doors to eight to twelve million illegals, many of which uh, are known sleeper cells, which will make 9-11 look like a minor incident. We cannot have that. And so if he's willing to take that risk to put the country in that kind of a, uh, of a, of a severe situation uh, for all Americans, and we're all border states now. Sure. I mean, we're, they're, they're shipping them everywhere. So uh, this is a hill, as Mike Johnson said, that we're going to die on, and we'll see what happens. 
no, I think once he got his footing, uh, you know, once once a couple of the things shook out as far as Mike Johnson being able to, you know, see how he was going to be the Speaker of the House, there were so many pundits in the media who were trying to rush him along and say, pick an issue, pick an issue. I think this is the issue right here. I think you feel exactly the same way, and I think Mike Johnson definitely has the fortitude to uh, hold that line. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, I think it's pretty important. Next Tuesday, you guys are going to have a major vote in the House. It's H.R. 918, and that's going to be, uh, you know, the continuation and moving forward in the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry. You guys are looking maybe from early to mid-Jan if this thing is, you know, still continues to go as much as we've seen it in the press, as much as the, you know, committees have released information regarding it goes to, uh, you know, have something going in the right direction here. Now, with this vote coming on Tuesday, do you guys think you have the votes to continue to advance this? And, I mean, just from the stuff that we've seen in the media and that all the committees have provided so far, it looks like, you know, Joe Biden is pretty much still going to be in the crosshairs of uh, his impeachment inquiry, to say the least. Well, as he should be. Yes, I think we've got the votes. I mean, how can anybody put, particularly the last revelations, when you see checks directly going uh, to Joe Biden from his brother and his son, Hunter, uh, you know, it's, you're not talking about $1,000. You're talking about millions of dollars of yeah. corruption. And this inquiry is about process. And it's about letting the facts come out and letting the judges, the judicial system that hears this case, know that we've got the full backing of the House, which we will have. And if we don't, um, I don't know what more people need. I think most of the Republicans, even though it's going to be a slim vote, I think we'll be, well, they'll all have to be with it. We maybe lose two, but I can't see. There's got to be consequences for this sure. man. Uh, and, and what he's done is hopefully we can walk a lot of it back for the new administration. But this is just the beginning of holding him accountable. Let the American people be the judge. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty optimistic as far as that vote. The, the evidence is, is overwhelming just in the public eye right now. And as we've talked with just about every congressman and woman that comes on this show, you can only imagine the stuff that you guys are working to present to the American public behind closed doors as this inquiry continues to move down the road. Congressman, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. I mean, obviously, you're on the road. You took some time to come and share with our listenership. We're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description. Anybody that wants to follow you on social media, where can they check you out? RepRalphNorman.com. Absolutely fantastic. We wish you um, a Merry Christmas and, and safe travels, Congressman, and we'll be looking to touch base with you again in the new year. This is the Congressman representing South Carolina 5. Mr. Ralph Norman, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Bye. Hi, man. So foreign policy experience is not the same as foreign policy wisdom. I want everybody at home to know that I was the first person to say we need a reasonable peace deal in Ukraine. Now a lot of the neocons are quietly coming along to that position, with the exceptions of Nikki Haley and Joe Biden, who still support this, what I believe is pointless war in Ukraine. And I think those with foreign policy experience, one thing that Joe Biden and Nikki Haley have in common is that neither of them could even state for you three provinces in eastern Ukraine that they want to send our troops to actually fight for. Look at that. This is what I want people to understand. These people have, I mean, she has no idea what the hell the names of those provinces are, but she wants to send our sons and daughters and our troops and our military equipment to go fight it. So reject this myth that they've been selling you, that somebody had a cup of coffee stint at the UN and then makes eight million bucks after, has real foreign policy experience. It takes an outsider to see this through. Look at the blank expression. She doesn't know the names of the provinces that she wants to actually fight for. And there's a puppet masters right there, the donors. The donors right there that are playing her like the puppet okay, masters. Enough. Mm. Well, enough. That's how you could pretty much sum up the... That's probably something he's never said at Golden Corral. Mm. 
fourth Republican debate. That was Vivek Ramaswamy, the entrepreneur, hammering Nikki Haley on her warmongering stances on, you know, it's either her saying that we probably do need U.S. troops to go in to Ukraine, not to fight the Russians, but to establish a presence, which essentially means we're fighting the Russians. And then Chris Christie, who made an even chittier point, saying that as long as there are American hostages in Gaza, U.S. special forces should be on the ground conducting military operations against Hamas face-to-face, essentially circumventing the operation that Israel is currently conducting against the terrorist organization there. So foreign policy was on display. It's just as bad as you thought. Uh, Ron DeSantis was, for the most part, completely absent from the debate. Um, you know, just to kind of give you guys a bird brain, bird's eye view of how things shook out. So obviously you heard how the straw poll for meet the press on NBC went Donald Trump overwhelmingly won the debate by not showing up. You had CNN saying that Vec Ramaswamy is Van Jones was calling him like a demagogue who's 40 years younger than Donald Trump and will be essentially the second coming of Hitler because that's what they've anointed Donald Trump as. And, you know, you, you've had some of the other outlets. The gals over at Ruthless said, of course, this was Ron DeSantis's best debate, and he's the greatest debater in the history of debaters. You just heard from South Carolina Congressman Ralph Norman, who said he thought Nikki Haley um, clearly won the debate um, because that's who he's decided to endorse for the presidential primary. So a lot of mixed reviews, although nobody essentially watched it, and that's kind of where we're at. We're going to do a brief little cover of, I don't know, the shittiest highlights we could find from this. <laughs> Donald Trump was mentioned a lot. As you heard when NBC did their straw poll with some of the guests who stayed after to kind of, you know, provide their focus group talking points. And it was again, the entrepreneur Ramaswamy who pointed this out that the other three people on the stage essentially kissed Donald Trump's ass until they got what they wanted. And now they've disavowed him which I thought was probably the only honest-to-God highlight of this entire thing and something that you should probably hear if you haven't heard it yet. Let's check it out. Here's my issue with all three of my other colleagues on this debate stage. Is all three of them have been licking Donald Trump's boots for years. I thought he was going to say For money and endorsements. (laughs) Ron DeSantis, you've been a great governor, but you would have never been one without actually begging Donald Trump for that endorsement. And you attacked him in your book a year ago. Same thing with Chris Christie as a lobbyist, begging them for COVID money for his special interests in New Jersey, prepping Mm. him for the debates last time around. These people are now Monday morning quarterbacking some decision he made. I think the real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11? That the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory? but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform, that the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech, that the 2016 election, the one that Trump won for sure, was also one that was stolen from him by the national security establishment (coughs) that actually put up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they knew was false. There's a reason why I'm the only person on the stage who can say these things. That's what it's going to take, not people who were licking his boots one time and now Monday morning quarterbacking and criticizing him when it's convenient. What do you think? That'll do, sir. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, listen, I don't hear anything wrong with that argument there. Again, Vivek Ramaswamy, 
shelf life is just about as long as his primary. I don't even think, you know, if I was lining up people that were in this presidential primary who were potential cabinet level positions, I, I still don't think he meets the threshold of qualification just based off of his lack of experience in anything uh, besides being, you know, an entrepreneur billionaire, essentially. Um, they don't have the Department of Billionaires, as far as I know, as a cabinet position. So, But I think, like, if you just look at the field and, and even the ones that have already departed, you have Doug Burgum, the governor from North Dakota, who more than likely could fill the spot of, you know, let's just say Secretary of Energy or Secretary of the Interior. You have Tim Scott, who as a senator out of South Carolina, has a lot of experience both in domestic and foreign policies. I'm not saying that I'm promoting any of these people for the job. But when, just when you look at resumes and resumes alone, Nikki Haley, she's not going to be the Secretary of State. You know, Ron DeSantis can go fuck himself as soon as he decides to call it quits. <laughs> and then, I mean, Chris Christie. No, I'm going to send you a, a video later. It's, it's you know, Chris Christie who... It was during his original endorsement of Donald Trump. And, and just if, if you heard that endorsement from 2016 and you see how Chris Christie acts now, it's number one, night and day, number two, disgusting. Mm. You know, and, and in our last audio clip before we jump in, we got foreign policy experts. She's just put out a great new book on Hungarian politics right now and defeating the woke culture and the myths of everything that's going on in the, the European Union. Dr. Shea Bradley Farrell will be joining us for the first time. Vivek wasn't done by calling them bootlickers and, and saying they used Donald Trump for what they needed and then have gone after him because it no longer serves them. He told Chris Christie, maybe make a pit stop over at the Golden Corral. Let's hear it. And that you got into this race just to stop President Trump. His approval rating with Republicans is currently at 81%. Yours is at 25. Your best state is New Hampshire, and even there, two-thirds of GOP voters say they would be angry and disappointed if you won, Oof. respectfully, Governor, you have not stopped, Mr. Trump, and voters may wonder how you could possibly become the nominee of a party that does not appear to like you very much. Yeah. Well, look, Megan, um, it's often very difficult to be the only person on the stage who's telling the truth and the only person who is taking on what needs to be taken on. I, I look at my watch now. We're 17 minutes into this debate, and except for your little speech in the beginning, we've had these three acting as if... The race is between the four of us. The fifth guy, who doesn't have the guts to show up and stand here, he's the one who, as you just put it, is way ahead in the polls. You know, and it, it, would, it would go on for like another minute. Vivek and him would get in a back and forth, and Vivek Ramaswamy said, essentially, you need to drop out of the race, get off the stage, get a hot meal, and call it a career. And... I guess Chris Christie thought he was set up by Megyn Kelly by saying essentially, <laughs> even in states where you're not losing, you're still losing by a lot to Donald Trump. And two thirds of the voter pool said they would essentially hate you if you won the nomination. Um, he went up to her during the commercial and was all pointing in her face and slamming the desk. Like, hey, thanks for the cheap shot. But, you know, it's like Congressman Norman pointed out, there was very little control over these candidates when it went off the rails for the entirety of the debate. And maybe they do need to start cutting off bikes. They did it during the presidential election with Joe Biden and Donald Trump, because mm -hmm. after the first one, they knew they were just going to be bickering back and forth. So, you know, it was one of those things where they didn't cut off Biden very much. Did they? Well, mostly Trump. Yeah. Cause it would be like, they ask a softball question, Joe Biden lies. And then Donald Trump would be like, that's not true. And then it, Oh, Mr. Trump, Mr. President. And it'd be, no, yeah. he's not telling the truth. And the next thing you know, the mic's off. Yeah. So that's kind of, listen, these are a pointless waste of time. 
Chris Christie just alluded to it right now. And, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy made the case for it as well. I don't know why they've been rewarded. Well, I do know why. They're trying to spend as much money and burn through as much money this primary cycle as they can. So they can't give it to Donald Trump to solidify his Republican nomination and head into this general election with wind in his sails. They're, of course, going to make it as hard as fucking hell as possible. And for those that don't really understand the way politics go, this is what's going on behind the scenes. We're going to continue to track this the best we can. For as much as we don't want to, no, I need a groan out of you. Mm. You do have the best groans. We're going to be jumping in with Dr. Shay Bradley Farrell right now. But before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. Hi, this is Beardo over at Beard Vet Coffee. What's wrong with America today is that Americans are putting convenience over values. We need to start thinking about our dollar as a vote. We need to start using those dollars to support companies that believe in our values and aren't afraid to take a stand. That's us at BeardVet Coffee. We're not another pretend conservative company that puts a pew-pew on the packaging to take a line with our principles. We don't identify as America first. We live America first. We're vet-founded, vet-focused, and obviously bearded. So, if you haven't had a cup of BeardVet, buy a bag, help us continue to support veteran charities every month. And as we always say, stay awake, not woke. Use promo code STEAK for 10% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. She's currently the president of CounterPoint DC, who's releasing a new book, The Last Warning to the West, Hungary's Triumph Over Communism and the Woke Agenda. Joining us for the first time, Dr. Shay Bradley Farrell. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi guys, it's a real honor to be with you, with you. Like I was just saying, uh, my friend Christina Bob is a big fan of your show, and it's one of the reasons I trust you. So it's an honor to be with you today. Well, it's an honor to be hosting you, and we'd like to talk about your new book. I just kind of let our listenership hear about the title. It seems like an area of your expertise, having a lot of foreign policy experience, uh, according to several people that worked in the Trump administration that I was able to talk to over the course of this week. Let's talk about the premise of what went into the book and why it's important for something like this to come out now, especially when it uh, reflects on what's going on in here in America. Yeah, when I started doing the research for this book, it was to find out really how Hungary managed to keep their national sovereignty because they're fighting against the woke agenda in the European Union. And what I realized that I what I realized is that I needed to write a book that was a warning to Americans. Because one of the things that I was hearing that was very startling to me is that the rhetoric coming out of the United States reminds Hungarians of their Soviet days. Uh, they were occupied by the Soviet Union uh, from 1945, or yeah, 1945 to 1991, and Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister, uh, was one of the freedom fighters, one of the first founders of the conservative Fidesz party that is now uh, in, in control in Hungary, and um, he says this, and there are many speeches I look back on his, but also my my research showed that. The Bolsheviks, you know, they are the ones that spread the communism. The Marxism came from Bolshevism and then was spread all around the world over the past few decades. But there are so many similarities between what the Bolsheviks wanted to do and wanted to spread and what we're dealing with in America today. Um, you look at things like legalized abortion that people are calling health care. They did the same thing trying to separate families, trying to diminish parental rights over your own children, uh, separation of people from religion, uh, 
children again from parents. And the reason is, is because of control. You can control a people if they don't have a foundation of family or faith. Um, so we see that same sort of divisiveness over here in America and all through the West, uh, you know, division based on class, on gender, and of course, on race. Uh, so that's just one of the many aspects. Last thing I'll say, and then I'll, I'll take a breath. Um, even the Trump indictments, you know, it's crazy that we have a former president that has in, been indicted so many times. And it's my belief that it, it is um, the Biden administration trying to put down a political opponent. That's exactly what the Soviets did. They put people on uh, show trials. I did a lot of uh, tours. I went to this place in Hungary called the House of Terror. And it was the headquarters of both the Nazis and the, the Soviet police when they were both occupying at different times Hungary. And the guy was telling me about the show trials. And, and I said, well, you know, they were in control. Why would they have to put people who they knew weren't guilty of a crime up on trial? What, what difference would it make? They, they were torturing the people in the dungeons. They were killing them. Uh, they were putting them away. They were deporting them to concentration camps. Why, why would they need to do this? And he said, because it makes the public think they're guilty. And that's what I believe we're seeing uh, right now, especially with Trump. But there's so many uh, correlations, guys, to what's going on today in America uh, that came out of the Soviet Union. And I, I wrote last warning to the West to, to tell Americans we need to wake up. You know, Dr. Ben Carson comes on the show quite often. He'll be joining us again in a few weeks. And he's always talked about the same kind of premise that, you know, from the fallout of the Cold War and the the warnings that were given by the, the former Soviets to people in the United States that they didn't need to fire a single bullet to eventually win this war and play the long game. They were going to infiltrate their biggest federal agencies. They were going to infiltrate all of the lobby groups. They were going to infiltrate places like the National Teachers Union. And, and if you just look over the course of the last 40 or so years since the end of the Cold War and, and look at the indoctrination that's gone, I mean, it's, it's really hard to find a school district in this country this day, this day and age that actually teaches what this country was founded on and its basic principles leading us up to where we're at right now. Instead, now we, we go to a lot of the things that you alluded to at the top of your point, and that's the gender ideology, the culture ideology. There's a big war on religion right now. And uh, even the immigration system, I think that that's all kind of tied into this. You know, what we see happening on our U.S. southern border right now is the complete opposite. Uh, and, and it's probably the last bastion of hope in, in all of Europe, what we've seen in Hungary's recipe for success when it comes to maintaining their sovereignty and keeping their culture alive throughout their country. You want to tell us a little bit about how yeah. you saw the difference between what's going on here in the United States and, and, and what went into your book after being able to, uh, you know, see and experience just how life was a lot different in Hungary? Yeah, and, and actually, can I first go back to something you just brought up? Because it's very important. Sure. Um, the, the communism, like 1919, I believe it was, Communist International was set up to, the goal was to spread communism. Supposedly, it was disbanded in the 1940s. I, I don't believe that that really happened. But we did see this happen. But what I wanted to tell you that's extremely interesting is in my research, I found these documents written by a national security expert, international security expert, uh, Stephen T. Possini, but it was published 
by our Department of Defense as strategy lessons on what to know about communist psychological warfare. And what you reminded me of is that I've got 11 those 11 points in my book, Last Warning to the West, and every point, all 11 of them apply to today and what we're talking about. For example, use a crisis to take control of society. What did we see during COVID? We saw vaccine mandates. We saw government taking uh, control all over the world in any way that they could in order to, you know, pass it off as uh, we've got to save you from COVID. That's an example. Taking over the language is an example. Taking over the media is an example. Anyway, I could go on, but we didn't heed the warning back in 1959 when he wrote this. But differences uh, between us is, I think that they, first of all, the, the conservatives in that country have stood their ground on keeping God and family and country at the heart of their, their traditions and their beliefs. And I think a lot of the reason of that is because the Soviets did not leave until 1991. And I interviewed uh, senior officials for the book, but I also interviewed people out in the countryside, uh, just regular people. And uh, besides telling me, you know, the rhetoric coming out of the U.S. is frightening us because they look to us as a beacon of hope during sure. that time. Uh, besides that, you know, I, I asked, uh, I, I interviewed a man in his late 80s and another in his 90s who were children during the occupation of the Soviets when they came in and pillaged and destroyed Budapest, raped women in front of these children, actually. And I, I said, what do you remember when the, the Soviets left first? And he said, I remember being free from fear. I could live my life free from fear, finally. So I think that they are more proactive in holding on to their national identity, their traditional values, the country that they love. They're, they're not going to go around and bash Western civilization and bash their country the way we see so many academics and so many media elites doing in our country today because it means something to them. They just got their freedom back. Um, so they're proactive in many ways. Uh, Orban actually put out, he, I spoke at CPAC Hungary the past two years, and in one of those speeches he gave there, he put out 12 points that helps us take back uh, what we're talking about, these uh, conservative, these traditional principles, take back our, our country. And uh, I put the 12 points in my book, and just two as examples uh, is, you know, build institutions that teach these things. That's what I've done with my organization, Counterpoint Institute. Um, another one is try to uh, also have the media. So the left is not the only one having the media, which is exactly what you guys are doing. So there's all these proactive ways of maintaining your ground, really. In fact, that's one that he has basically is uh, play by your own rules, believe in what you believe and then and stand firm for that. Well, you know, when, when you talk about the component of living in fear, something that we've seen the rise on, especially since, unfortunately, uh, you know, since early October here in the United States has been the outward rise of anti-Semitism, especially on major college campuses and universities and throughout the streets of major cities in the United States. 
you know, you also see the same kind of uh, anti-Semitic rallies and, and sympathy for the Palestinian regime being spread and, and out in the streets all over Europe from whether it's in the streets of Germany or, or the UK and, and places like France and even Italy. One place that you're not seeing it, though, is Hungary, and that has to go, number one, off of the values program that they have there in the country that, you know, they will support Hungarian values and, and, and champion those instead of the, you know, plights of others. And, and number two, it, it, it falls back on, on our last point, talking about the immigration system and how strong the borders in Hungary has been since, you know, the migrant influx from the Middle East and Africa started uh, heading into the European Union over a decade ago. So can you can you touch on that a little bit? How, how it, it, It's a major difference and definitely a point that, that needs to be made. Yeah, they, they simply stopped. They said no to the EU and their migrant quotas. They won't do it. It's one of the reasons reasons that the EU spreads this hateful media against them. Um, so, yeah, during the Arab up, uprisings, they were allowing the Arabs to come through the country into Europe, wherever they wanted to go. But, you know, they're a small country of 10 million people. Um, and... It got to let's uh, 2015. I think in the first three months there was something like 40,000 people that had come through this little country. They were registering them. They actually registered more first-time asylum seekers than any other country in Europe. Uh, fast forward to 2015 in September, and they've taken in like 400,000, and they had to declare a state of emergency. They could not do this insane open borders uh, thing that the EU does. And at that point, they put their foot down and said, no, we're, we're just not going to do this. But, uh, you know, going back to what you said about Hungary and Israel, I actually spoke at a pro-Israel uh, summit in Hungary three days after the attack. The conference had been set up, you know, months before that. But, Everybody got together and was like, well, we maybe we should cancel this. But our Israeli friends that were able to still come said, no, we need the support more than ever. Because Hungary has uh, one of the largest Jewish populations in Europe. Yep. Um, they are a friend there. Uh, people feel safe there. I've had Israelis tell me that this is the safest place in Europe for a Jew to be. And... Um, you know, I, I agree with that. But one thing I will tell you, I the number one thing I heard during that conference from my Israeli friends is that we are concerned, relating back to what you just said with all the uh, uh, riots against Israel and pro-Hamas and all this, we are concerned that the international community will turn against us. And we have seen that happen and um, it's unbelievable. I believe it's part of the breakdown of the West, of Western civilization and moral relativism. Um, I, I was actually in Israel in 2019 and, and visited near the Gaza border. I was going down there to talk to some people when missiles were being shot across. So we had to hold off before we were able to go down uh, that day, go near a bomb shelter, so we were able to go and learned that people live their lives yep. next to bomb shelters so they can do that. Went to the Lebanese border, went to the Syrian border as well, where Hezbollah had dug, dug tunnels to get into the country. And that's where I it really was impressed upon me that they live their life waiting for attack. 
No, it's wild. You know, we had a friend that was was stuck in Israel after the October 7th attacks, and uh, Florida Congressman Corey Mills actually was in Israel and helped uh, evacuate her and get her back to the United States. So we understand the severity. Yeah, it was a pretty wild situation. And, uh, you know, we lend credit to the people that actually were were there and, and were able to get out safely. Last last thing I want to yes. touch with you on, you know, we have a big presidential race coming up. We're in the midst of the primary season right now. It seems to be all but over. Uh, you know, next year, Donald Trump is vying to retake the White House. And, and there are just so many correlations between him and Viktor Orban, especially when you look at, you know, their stances on immigration policy, combating the, the woke agenda, and a lot of the Marxist policies and, and influence that's being spread throughout this country right now. Do you think mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, their friendship and their relationship is going to play a factor? I mean, th- you know, at the CPAC Hungary, uh, not too long ago, Victor Arbon had some really nice things to say about President Trump and was, is obviously openly hopeful about him coming back to the presidency in 2025. But, but do you think, he, th- you know, their relationship is going to play a role heading into this election season? You know, I don't know how much it will uh, play a role in our election, but I I do believe it's extremely important for the conservative partnerships that we've made all over the world. It's part of, I, I spoke at CPAC Hungary this year and last year, uh, and um, what I really got from that is conservatives coming from all over the world. There are more of us than you think. So I uh, do work now with Italian conservatives. They have a new conservative leader. Uh, the Netherlands, did you see the election recently where they've got a conservative leader? Um, I do work with uh, Austrian conservatives. So there, you know, Javier Mille was just elected down in Argentina. Who would have thought that would have happened? So I think that supporting each other, standing our ground and working together is very important because you know the left does. And uh, Soros, for example, pours billions of dollars behind strategy and messaging yep. for the left. And we need we need to do the same thing. Um, I, I actually have last year had a, a really blessed year <laughs> and I got to sit down for an hour with President Trump and talk to him. And about a month later, I, I got to sit down with Viktor Orban for about an hour and talk to him. And I think they're both very similar in ways. They have different personalities, you know, Trump being fast and from New York. Um, But they're both very insightful, uh, very deep thinking people. And they both, this was the impression I got, both care very much for their countries. Uh, That was certainly the impression I got from uh, President Trump. And uh, he's very concerned about what's going on in our country right now. And Viktor Orban stands his ground against the EU in the same way. Well, I mean, just when you look at the absolute basics, Joe Biden has been a foreign policy disaster compared to the safety and security that we had when Donald Trump was in office. You you can only presume that uh, Viktor Orban is hoping Donald Trump could come back and those relationships and ties between Hungary and the United States will be moving forward stronger than ever before. Dr. Bradley Farrell, this has been awesome sitting down with you today, getting to know you a little bit. We hope that at some point, once your book tour is over and, and you've had a lot of success with that, you can come back to the show, talk some foreign policy with our listenership. You know, you, you have so much experience in the field, not just from the writings of your books and, and your times through the, the the CounterPoint Institute, but you also, you know, worked alongside Mike Pompeo and, and Ivanka Trump, 
during the time that Donald Trump was president. And uh, we think you'd be a great wealth of, uh, you know, experience and conversation to bring to our show. We're obviously going to be live linking the Counterpoint Institute and your book in the show description today. But for anybody that wants to check you out, maybe on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, please go to counterpointinstitute.org. Sign up for our newsletter. We're a national security foreign policy organization where our mission is actually to expose the truth about what's going on, like we talked about today. You know, we go down, we actually also go down to the border. We don't just sit in DC and write great policy papers. I've actually also been in the uh, Ukrainian Refugee Center in Hungary, you know, so we go to the places to find out what the real story is. Uh, Counterpoint DC is the Twitter handle. I'm Dr. Shea underscore DC. Uh, on Twitter and on Instagram. And we would love you to sign up for our newsletter and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much also is what I was going to say. No, we'd be looking to have you back real soon. Doctor, got to check out her newest book, The Last Warning to the West, Hungary's Triumph Over Communism and the Woke Agenda. This is Dr. Shea Bradley-Farrell. Thank you for joining us on the show and have a great weekend. Thanks so much, guys. I enjoyed it and I'd love to come back. Talk to you later. Merry Christmas. Now, you mentioned there could be more charges. What makes you think that? It's just my reading of, of the document in, in the first page. I think the language is uh, that they describe him as a lobbyist. Lobbyists have to register under what's called FARA, the Foreign Agents Registration Act, which is a government way of saying that if you're working on behalf of foreign interests, you have to tell the U.S. government. In this case, the indictment spends a lot of time talking about Hunter Biden's business deals with the Ukraine energy firm Burisma. It also talks about his work with a Chinese energy firm, CEFC, and it also talks about his work with Romania. And that, to me, seems to leave the door open to potential FARA violations. I also would add that there has been some reporting subpoenas have been issued for his uh, his business partner, the president's uh, brother, James Biden. And that would go to the idea of a FARA, you know, working together, yeah. lobbying on behalf of foreign interests. Now, we say all of that, but their position has been that they he, he accepts responsibility for this, this period in his life, but they've in no way admitted that they have been lobbying on behalf of those entities. Nice. All right, jumping back into the news here. Shitty day for the Biden crime family yesterday. Ooh. Hunter Biden got hit with a heaping helping of new indictments, I believe nine charges, multiple felonies regarding things everywhere from tax evasion to FARA violations. And this is already what's on all of the other stuff that's been uh, formulated in making the case against the Biden crime family. So much to the dismay of the current president, his son is in a shitload of trouble right now. And, you know, as Noah, as so often alluded to here on the show, this may be the way that they take Big Joe out, you know, putting that millstone around the neck of Hunter and, and Jim Biden and saying, listen, Let's just hypothetically say that Joe Biden really didn't know what was going on. At the end of the day, that money was making it to his account. It just doesn't come out of anywhere. And uh, I still think they're going to have him bow out medically for something. You know, he'll have a heart attack or, uh, you know, whatever. Well, they do have the heart attack gun, don't they? They're not going to need it for him. Yeah, true story. He's a walking disaster. Well, speaking of walking, I saw a video of him walking out to the helicopter every from day, the White House. Every day he's shuffling. And uh, no, but he was walking like, I mean, he was walking at a pretty good clip, but 
he was also avoiding questions about Hunter Biden's criminal uh, investigations. Yeah, they actually they, they cornered him in, in a presser yesterday, and, and he got pretty angry. We'll hear that in a sec. Will Scharf, who's running for the attorney general in Missouri right now, put out a little bit of information on social media yesterday. It starts off pretty simply explaining Hunter Biden is in a lot of trouble. We all know the sweetheart deal that was previously offered Hunter fell apart earlier in the year. He's now facing four counts of willfully failing to pay his taxes for years 2016, 17, 18, and 19. Two counts of failing to file a tax return for the years of 2017 and 2018, which are all in violation of U.S. code. He's also been charged with one count of tax evasion and two counts of filing false and fraudulent tax forms Mm. for the years of 2018, chalking up hundreds of thousands of dollars to fake business expenses these expenses included hotel rooms that he turned into crack dens. Nice. Payoffs for his girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Strippers. Yep. Escorts. Luxury cars. Sex club memberships. And pornography websites. Yeah, I saw somebody do a breakdown of how much money he spent on escorts and ho- and basically hookers. And it was more than, like, over the period of time that they were they were addressing, it was like he was... 1.75% more than, than people make in a year mm-hmm. is how much he spent on. Each of these charges carry a prison sentence standardly of four to five years. If he were to plead guilty, the reduced sentence would likely be around three years. This is a shit ton of prison time that the son of the sitting president is looking at. Um, David Weiss, he also said, appears to be playing this straight. Nobody liked the appointment of him as the special counsel because he seemed to let everything kind of go while he was the acting attorney general of Delaware. However, this thing is ramped up pretty big, not in Joe Biden's favor. Um, I think think he'll get pardoned by by Joe before he ends up bowing out. You know, Joe Biden was asked about that yesterday. He didn't answer. KGP was on a flight today because they're going to California for some uh, donor dinners that they're having over the course of this weekend out here in California. And... KGP said Joe Biden's original statement that he would not pardon his son has not changed his original stance mm. today. I'll believe it when I see it. The big test for the Justice Department comes next because we have to ask the questions. Will Hunter Biden be offered a new sweetheart plea deal to sweep this all under the rug? Yes. More importantly, will more indictments follow? Foreign money laundering, failure to register as a foreign agent, bribery? Who knows? Um, we, what we do know is, is that Joe Biden's a liar. Leading into the 2020 presidential election, Joe Biden did say... My son has not made money in terms of this thing about what you were talking about. He's referring to China. That was obviously in one of the indictments yesterday. Um, Joe Biden also denied that he had made a fortune in China, Moscow, and other various places, referring to Hunter Biden. And then Joe Biden says he knew nothing of his son's business dealings and hasn't met ever with one of his business partners. There's at least a dozen documented cases of that being a lie as well. You know, the blackout on Hunter Biden's laptop all falls into play here because a lot of those business dealings were probably linked to emails and bank accounts that were on that laptop. It would have essentially rendered Joe Biden useless heading in to the 2020 presidential election day. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden essentially got elected by living a lie and the entirety of the apparatus that dictates what the narrative is in this country. Everything from the security agencies to the Justice Department and the social media gods and Silicon Valley allowed this to happen. Mm-hmm. And look at how the country's gone since. Swimmingly. Mm, to say the least. Dr- drowningly. I'm sure Alex Jones would uh, 
would have something to say about that. Uh, we'll get to him in just a second. I do want to play the clip of the 46th president when he was asked today about all of these charges coming out and if he was ready to start coming to terms with the fact that everyone knows that he knew, Joe Biden knew what was going on. Let's hear it. Uh, there is polling by the Associated Press that shows that almost 70 percent of Americans, including 40 percent of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or unethically in regards to your family's business interests. Can you explain to the Americans, uh, to Americans amid this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not. And it's just a bunch of lies. Associates? <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Lies. He just put up his hand and walked out of the room. But they're not lies. And haven't we seen that by the evidence? I don't know if it's because he just can't mentally handle the gymnastics he needs to navigate a question. Because that is it. Listen. I mean, yeah, you could really potentially, by putting a public statement out, really put yourself in the ringer by... I mean, he's not going to say, I'll take the fifth, fifth, one, two, three, four, fifth. But that's the thing. Like, even him saying, like, yeah, I knew these people, but I didn't know what they were doing or how they were connected to Hunter and the business. Like, that you just, like, you even allude to maybe just answering the question in any context outside of, no, I didn't that's know. a lie. Lies. Ah. Bah, humbug. Yeah. And then storming out of the room, uh, you, you open yourself up legally to. A lot of the trouble he's probably going to be in eventually. And, you know, when you look at it from 3,500 feet, doesn't look good for anybody that's involved right now. I think they should just wait for him to get out of office and then just put his ass in a sling. This this impeachment stuff is a waste of time for him. You know, as Representative Burchett said earlier in the show, he thinks it's going to run right through the election anyway, so at which point it becomes moot. Yep. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where this is wild. We have put our, and here's the thing there's going to be so many people with egg on their face because of this, this being allowed to happen, all in the name of stopping Donald Trump. You need to understand that's why Donald Trump is being so demonized right now. It's not because the world is going to end if he becomes president, it's because Donald Trump is going to be proven right in everything. Everything from the election that happened in 2020, I mean, Joe Biden's guilt in all of this essentially validates Donald Trump's claims that the election was rigged and stolen. Mm -hmm. You know, if Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and Jim Biden wind up being convicted of crimes eventually, and the Hunter Biden laptop is the source of where these federal law enforcement agencies and the Department of Justice gleaned their information, which led to more indictments and eventually convictions... The election was rigged and stolen. I mean, we all know it, but it seems like we're slowly crawling towards validating Donald Trump's claims. And that's without changing a single check on a single ballot. And it ain't even that slow. It's actually coming pretty quick. Oh, man. I mean, how much stuff has he been wrong about? Very, very, very little. Yeah, very little. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things. Where we're we're going to continue to keep an eye on this here. Guys, last call, wherever you're listening to the show today, hopefully on Apple and Spotify. Follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Only way it helps us out, only way it keeps our podcast 100% free. It's the holiday season. We're into giving. We gave you three congressmen and a former Trump administration official today, and uh, we continue to do more of the same on a biweekly basis here. Help Steak for Breakfast grow by supporting the podcast. Share the show with your friends. Rate us five stars. Write a review. But most importantly, follow the podcast. 
In addition to that, on social media, Twitter, get our Truth Social and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. Then anytime something comes out to the show or we're lighting somebody up and getting blocked on social media, you'll be able to see it in real time. Mm-hmm. Who was Will Chamberlain the other day. What? <laughs> Will Chamberlain. You got blocked by Will Chamberlain? Chamberlain? Not the basketball player. <laughs> the shitty neckbeard guy that works at the America First Policy Institute with Mike Davis, who is like essentially fed... Mike Davis is a lawyer. He's helped Donald Trump out with stuff. Him and I don't agree on a lot of things, especially we got into it earlier this year when McCarthy bent the knee to Joe Biden. He passed the budget. Mike Davis said it was great. I called him a snake oil salesman because Chuck Grassley, who Mike Davis used to work for, endorsed the Biden budget. Mm -hmm. We had it out on, on DM. I asked a couple people. I asked the assistant trade secretary, is the Biden budget good? And she's like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) And anybody else that's saying that is full of shit. So I, I use that as the justification for my argument against him. He called us all bitches. But now he goes around saying, like, <laughs> he called us bitches. If Donald Trump appoints me attorney general of the United States, which, first of all, he's not qualified to be, uh, I would put everybody in jail that did the president. Like, that's not what you fucking do. I, I was like, do you understand being the attorney general of the United States requires Senate confirmation? Mm-hmm. By saying you're going to throw, like, fucking Jerry Nadler, who's 80 and 500 pounds in Gitmo because he helped propriate the Russiagate investigation, it's not really the way you get confirmed through the Senate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he runs the America First Policy Institute, does help Donald Trump out with some legal advice and, and things of that nature in some of his cases, but his partner in this apparatus is Will Chamberlain, who's a devout neckbeard haver and DeSantis fan. And I called him out on a couple things the other day and he got into an argument with me on Twitter. And I said, you want to know what? Here's the deal for all the stuff that your boss supposedly said about throwing people in jail and in Gitmo as part of retribution. The first head I hope rolls figuratively, of course, is yours when he fires you. Cause mm. I don't know how you run this agency that's supposedly helping out Donald Trump, this policy Institute, and then have somebody who's a like a gaze for DeSantis. You know what I'm saying here? Like Dave Rubin level DeSantis supporter. And uh, it just doesn't match up in my eyes. Wait, he's a DeSantis supporter? Yeah, Will Chamberlain is. Who, who's the co-head of the America First Policy Institute with... That sounds weird. It is weird. And, and, and that's not the way the world works. You don't get to share an office with somebody who hates the person that's going to win the presidential election next year. And then you just get a free pass. Yeah, no. And, uh, you know, it's part of this never-Trump mentality that has got our nation to this absolute disastrous state that it's in. Let's start off talking about it real quick as we're getting ready to wrap the show here by finishing up on the U.S. southern border. Now, a lot of times, me and Noah both have a pretty good Mayorkas. I'll admit Noah's Fauci is better than mine. <laughs> Can you give us a little taste? Uh, well, I, I just want you to know that it still says fire Fauci on uh, Ron Paul's website. It certainly does. <laughs> But I think that we both do a pretty good Mayorkas. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's easy. You just empty everything out of your head. And your soul. And your soul. I always start off my Mayorkas impersonation with, um, Poppy, thanks for the question. <laughs> I've had people on social media say, why do you always say that? And I say, because if you haven't noticed, going all the way back to his time as the head of CIS in the Obama administration, the only time Alejandro Mayorkas does an exclusive interview that's like a sit-down and long-form format, he sits down with this correspondent that they dust off just for him, Poppy, from CNN. 
well, I'm getting my kids ready for school the other day. I'm going through the cable news networks, and There's I see his poppy. big, fat, fucking bald face that I want to punch squarely in the middle of on my television set. And the first thing he says is, um, poppy. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going to wait for it to be, and then vindicated. I'm going to go find the clip. <laughs> first thing he was talking about, and I think we need to hit on this real quick, was the racist level of border walls. I'm what? Not, <laughs> what? I'm not even joking. <laughs> Taking a page out of Mayor Pete's playbook. <laughs> Let's hear to the Department of Homeland Security, Secretary. Mr. Secretary, to the point of needing Congress to act, what Senate Republicans are pushing for really right now is very similar to H.R. 2, which passed the House to secure the Border Act. And just to name a couple of things in it, you know, restart construction on the border wall, increase the number of Border Patrol agents, limit asylum, narrow the president's parole powers. Why is that unpalatable to the administration? I would say two things. One, we've presented um, uh, proposals uh, that address the situation, that provide real practical solutions, and also uh, do not do violence to our fundamental values. We are a country of refuge. We do have oh. asylum laws. We do have mm -hmm. refugee laws. We, um, just, uh, we abide by our now. international obligations that are longstanding. And so that is my response to that. Some of the uh, proposals are, are reasonable and worthy of discussion. Others okay. are frankly not. What a piece of shit. I found out too. The, you're referencing the laws that you're not allowing your fucking subordinates to enforce right now, um, Poppy. I I got a new beat from one of our devoted listeners on the new a new beat. Yeah, Asylum Starter Pack. You want to hear what's in the newest version? Oh no! You ready? Yeah. A five thousand five thousand dollar Visa gift card. Yeah. This is given to every adult. No, I heard about that. Yeah. Vouchers for every single person in your party, essentially a blank check to fly anywhere in the United States. Okay. And a Galaxy 7 cell phone, a Samsung Galaxy 7. So $5,000 gift card, right? A gift card, which you do not have to be the person holding that card to spend, correct? Mm -hmm. So basically, these people that are getting facilitated through these coyotes and, and smuggling organizations in Mexico... All they have to do is have their catchers on the other side be like, all right, give me your fucking gift card. Yep. Probably not the phone because who wants a Galaxy 7? Not only are they facilitating this, the largest human trafficking event in the history of the galaxy. And remember how many people they brought out of Africa to make the pyramids. <laughs> They're letting the asylum seekers, the fraudulent illegal aliens who are economic migrants take a $5,000 gift card, get released from custody, and hand it to the people that traffic them here. Yeah. It, we're like we we could not be facilitating this more. For, we're we're making money hand over fist for these fucking criminal organizations. We're giving them the down payment on their human trafficking yeah. event. It's like, oh, the good news is, and they're probably telling them that we'll give you five thousand dollars off if you just give us the card. Essentially untraceable. Mm -hmm. It's I can't believe when I heard that. Just wait for the stash houses to be found with shoeboxes full of fucking gift cards. Yep. And hopefully, and I know this isn't the fucking case, but hopefully they have some sort of tracking on these cards where maybe they could be deactivated if they're stolen or taken. For, like, hopefully you would have to show 
Well, shit, can't show ID. No, because they leave them in their, in Mexico and then mail them to their destination in the United States after they make up like a fake name and date of birth when they come across the border. Uh, and then, oh, I don't have, you don't have a criminal record in the United States. That's because you've never fucking been here. Yeah. Or, or you technically you don't exist because you gave us fake biographical information. And, uh, you know, it's just wild. I've got one more from the Homeland Secretary. Let's hear it. Uh, let me make this perfectly clear. The immigration system has been broken for decades, and our Department of Homeland Security has been underfunded for years and years. And President Biden uh, has addressed both issues uh, with strength from day one. What? On the first day of his administration, he presented Congress with legislation to fix our immigration system. And we have submitted to Congress a supplemental funding bill that will resource our department. Thanks for that absolute mm. steamer, Poppy. Yeah. You know, I do have some numbers right before we wrap here, Noah, and it's on the border apprehensions. I mean, we could always read Ron DeSantis poll numbers, but there's not that much fun in that. According to U.S. Customs and Border Protection, They've broken the record for migrant apprehensions. Again, we use the term migrant because that's what the article or the source says. Mm -hmm. They're illegal apprehensions. Yeah. Per CBP sources, there were more than 12,000 migrant encounters at the U.S. southern border Wednesday, the highest single-day total ever recorded. This includes 10,200 Border Patrol apprehensions of illegal immigrants amongst the highest daily totals that BP has ever recorded. So that's kind of where we're at. As far as this goes, you know, as we're getting ready to wrap here on our Friday edition of the show, I mean, what can you say for numbers? Donald Trump is beating Joe Biden. The Emerson poll came out this morning. Trump 47, Biden 43. 71% of Americans say the economic conditions of this country are poor. Remember, out of those 71% of Americans, nearly 65% of them are using almost their entire paycheck essentially on food, fuel, and shelter. Mm -hmm. And Joe Biden sits right now at his lowest poll numbers of his presidency a whopping 37% approval rate. Damn. Yeah. But don't think that this is going to be a cakewalk to the ballot box a year from now in November when we go to vote Donald Trump back into the White House. As we'll hear in our last audio clip of the day, the biggest heater of the week, I'm going to have to say, even greater than both of our episodes of Steak of Breakfast, come from the interview table of Tucker Carlson, where yesterday he sat across from Alex Jones and put out nearly 120 minutes of quality content. They did get onto the item that Tucker Carlson asked Donald Trump in their first debate counter-programming interview, the possibility of Donald Trump acknowledging the fact that people are going to try and kill him before he can win back the White House. I thought it was a pretty good clip to end the week on. Let's hear these two guys debate it. You look at the trajectory of this, how they're escalating on Trump, whether you love him or hate him. He's now a populist icon. Uh, he, he's now the underdog. Uh, the globalists are coming after him. They're coming after our right to vote for who we want. He gets 60%. Which is the fundamental right in a democracy. I, the people rule. I can vote for whomever I want. It do, and if you don't like that person, that's immaterial. Absolutely. Right? And he's been indicted for saying they're stealing elections. They're stealing it. Try, do, oh, you, I'm aware. Well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. In their indictments of him is absolutely. election theft. But yes. So, so. But despite that, he's got 60% against all other Republicans. He's 15, 20 points ahead of Biden. It's backfired, but the deep state's not going to stop. So when you said to Trump several times in that 400 million views or whatever you got, biggest show ever, you know, you said to him, well, isn't the next thing them trying to kill you? And he, he, he's so confident he doesn't want to think about that. And where, where, he whereas, doesn't want to think about it. That's whereas right. I admire someone that's that comp, 
confident. You know, the deep state does kill people. And and and, and that's their only next move because this is failing. And, and I think they're going to kill Biden, too. Or I think they're going to try to... Re- <laughs> what you said in the speech again before the last one I talked about, like a month ago, you said, I don't see Biden and Trump being the candidates. You see the system, the media going after Biden, and he deserves it, but they were covering it up until now. Now they're covering the laptop. Now they're covering attack on the dog. Now they're covering, you know, all of his senility, all the corruption, the Chinese spies. Attacking a dog. What a pig he is. Oh, man. You know, and and then that, that goes back to the rumor that when Ron DeSantis and his wife went over to the Carlsons earlier this year to lay out their case for the GOP nomination that Ron DeSantis might have did a little, a little bit harder than a leg push mm-hmm. on one of Tucker Carlson's beloved Cocker Spaniels, and you know, but you know, just the talking point there that potentially the deep state has the ability to essentially remove both of these candidates from the ballot. Chris Christie alluded to it during the GOP debate saying, I'm staying in this race all the way to the GOP nomination simply because Donald Trump is going to be a convicted felon by the time we get to the convention. So just more stuff to think about. It's not like our plate can handle anything else, but hey, it's the holidays. Everybody puts on 10 or 15 pounds of fat. We might as well put on 10 or 15 items to be working on at the same time here as we're getting ready to wrap the week and call it a show. Ooh-wee, Noah. We made it. Ooh-wee. Not a bad way to end the week. Bad worse. We've had better as well. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and now want to hear the other nearly 300 editions of the show, it's pretty simple. Follow us across every downloadable podcasting platform. That's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Follow the show and make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Rate it five stars. Write a review. Share it with your friends. We've got a link tree in the bio of all our social medias, which are Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and sharing with us today. Obviously, Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett. It was great sitting down with him for the first time. South Carolina Representative Ralph Norman. Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs. And Dr. Shay Bradley Farrell. You guys all helped make steak great again. Guys, we're heading into the weekend. We're all going to be doing better than the Biden family, apparently. Mm. But never fear. We'll be back with a brand new Tuesday edition of the show. We're going to have the official spokeswoman from MAGA Inc., Caroline Levitt here. Former Chief of Staff at Capitol Hill, Jim Paff, will be joining us. Congressman Matt Rosendale will be back. And we'll be having a steak-exclusive interview with one of our favorites, Tucky's 2, Colonel Doug McGregor. So on behalf of the pod team, thanks for listening. Have a wonderful weekend, and take care. We can get you a lot of legitimate jobs. I'll get you down to Long Beach as a dock worker. I don't want to lift no fucking crates, Eddie. Vic, you ain't gonna lift shit. You don't even work there. But as far as the records are concerned, you do. Call Matthews, the foreman, and tell him he's got a new guy. Boom, you're on the rotation. You get a time card. It's clocked in and out for you every day. And at the end of the week, you get a nice paycheck. Doc workers do very well. So you can move into a halfway decent place without the Skagnetti fuck going, hey, where the fuck's the money coming from? And if he decides to make a surprise visit, that's the day we sent you to Tustin. Pick up a load of shit and bring it back. 
He comes back again. Hey, sorry, Seymour. You just missed him. We had to send him to the Taft airstrip five fucking hours away. We had a load of shit we had to have him pick up there and bring back here. Look, part of your job, Vic, is going different places. That's the beauty of it. We got places all over the place.